Hello, everyone. We are back with some Vampire, the Chicago Chronicles. I'm just going to grab the Owlbear link for everyone else that they could jump in. That's a good plan. So, hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And we are joined by, for his first session, uh, with the group after the very first episode, Tom tonight. So, yeah, say hello. It's just in time for all of us to die horribly. Yes. So, say hello, Tom. Well, we'll continue on. He's trying to get pushed to talk working on his phone. Um, so, tonight's episode. There we go. There we go. Tonight's episode is entitled Dead Proof. It is part one of the Power Prey arc. Before we begin, Vampire the Masquerade is a dark game of personal horror. You will hear descriptions of gore, depravity, addiction, coercion, and other adult themes. This is not D&D. It is not even Call of Cthulhu. This is a game where we play monsters of the night who do monstrous things. With that out of the way, let us begin. It is mid-August 2008. It's about a week since you encountered Clarence Bartleby, the maker of the Second Inquisition Blood Plague, and faced him in kindred upon kindred combat. After a, after a thrilling struggle against the wayward Tremere and his strange serv his strange servant slash master, the crawling tongue. You managed to subdue him and stake him, freeing the thin bloods who he had captured and forced to attenuate attenuate the virus to kindred biology. You were told by Damien, the sheriff, to keep Clarence Bartleby safe in your haven, and that when the time came, when he felt that the prince and the primogen would be well-primed once again to discuss the topic of the origins of the blood plague without instantly demanding blood, demanding a purge of all thin bloods on the city, that he would call you, and you, along with Clarence Bartleby, would attend Elysium to speak your side of the story and hopefully free yourselves of the prince's suspicion and furthermore clear the names of all the kaitiff and thin bloods in Chicago. And so you are here in your haven on this night. It's been a Relatively ordinary night so far. You're all gathered in the haven. Uh, 
Roger, you were in your bedroom on the top floor, sitting at your desk, and you're compiling paperwork regarding your sire ever since the revelations uh, ever since the revelation that your sire may be involved in passing information to the Second Inquisition, you've taken it upon yourself to compile evidence of all the interactions you've had with him in the legal system. And you feel that it would be handy to have a folder containing a complete record of all of the things that your sire has been conducting under the nose of the law. While it's unlikely that the Camarilla will care about these things, you do have evidence that he's been involved in a number of uh, ventures, particularly selling drugs and drug running, that may annoy certain members of the kindred community particularly the Ministry, if this evidence were to get out. <laughs> Barry, what are you doing in the Haven tonight? Um, I think that I would be trying to work out how to reload this state launcher. Yes. Because when we got them, you said we would need to work it out. Yes, so I would like you to please make a wits Firearms roll. Uh, wits, firearms. That will be five. And I still don't have all my dice out, so let me see if I can get this right. Yes. Um, three. Uh, two successes. Two successes. And so, you you've been spending most of tonight so far in your private armory, tinkering with the Inquisition stake launchers, trying to find a way to reload them. It's not as simple as just switching out one magazine for another. There's an entire mechanism within the gun barrel itself that needs to be primed and reset each time a new... Uh, each time a new stake clip is inserted into the gun. The stake clips are easy enough to procure. All you have to do is take one that's been used up and refill the slots with new stakes. That's the easy part. The hard part is upon inserting this clip, resetting all of the mechanisms in the gun that allow it to procure a new stake from the clip, load it into the barrel, and feed it into the spring launcher. And after several hours of playing around, you think you finally managed to do this, you get a new stake clip attached to the gun, raise the gun in front of you, point it towards the wall, and fire. Thunk! And to your pleasant surprise, a stake shoots out of the barrel, hits the wall, and clatters to the ground. It appears you've figured out the secret of how to reload the stake launcher. Awesome. As for Clarence Bartleby, you've had him stored in one of the lockers in your secret armory. And tonight, you decided to just keep and to check up on him, see what, see how he's doing, 
And so in between tinkering with the stake launcher and your and maintaining your other weaponry, you occasionally chance a glance inside the rightmost locker in your armory. And sure enough, the withered, decrepit form of Clarence Bartleby is still wedged inside, standing upright, the stake still stuck in his chest. Every time you open the locker, he stares at you with his motionless, dead eyes. He is in torpor, but somehow still you get the feeling that he is watching, watching, waiting, plotting his chance to escape and get his revenge upon you. Perhaps reunite with the tongue. Finally, we come to Alexander Borgra. Who's figured out how to roll the dice roller? <laughs> Alexander has his own haven, but he does come to the Coterie's haven as he has his uh, gould attack dogs here that take up the kitchen on the first floor, seemingly constantly in a state of frenzied growling. Alexander happens to be in the Haven tonight. Alexander Borgra, what are you doing in the Coterie's Haven tonight? Well, this evening, knowing that I've arrived, I'm preparing myself. I am standing in front of a mirror, doing some very delicate work with my gift. And... Crafting my, crafting my cheekbones, fusing, elongating my ear using it to just below my chin and jawline so that any uh, mortals that were to see it maybe dismiss it as a form of body modification or disfigurement. But anybody who knows that it will see the clear mark of the Zemisi and then I fix inside it a single long spiral earring. Very well. And so you are using your vicissitude to alter your appearance to make the mark of the Zemisi clearly visible. Uh, please go ahead and rouse the blood to use your vicissitude. Uh, 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 yep, try again, try again. Oh, slash, it's slash VR, not VR slash. Oh, slash VR. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay. Total failure. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you get a hunger. Actually, you get two hunger. Um, oh, wait, no, no. It's total failure just means you, they were all failures. No, so you get a hunger. Hunger goes up. And uh, we'll say for the purposes of the scene to come, uh, that uh, you are increasing your manipulation attribute. Wonderful. Uh, so how many points are you going to put into your manipulation from this flesh crafting right. exercise? I'll put an extra two in. Extra two. Very well. You make sure that the mark of the Zemisi is displayed prominently. Anyone who is not familiar with the iconography will simply see it as a tattoo, perhaps unfortunately placed. But those who know what they're looking for will instantly recognize it and understand what it means. 
And so your manipulation will have two extra dots for that purpose. And so business is proceeding pretty much as usual this night. You're expecting to receive the call from Damien at any moment to call you to Elysium. And sure enough, Roger, as you're just putting the finishing touches on what you've come to affectionately call the Mickey file, your phone begins to ring, vibrating on the desk. You lift it up, and the caller ID simply says, Damien. Here we go. Alright, well, answer that phone. You press the button, bring the phone to your ear, and Damien wastes no time. He says, Okay. They've had about a week to calm down, but the prince still asking questions about the blood virus. I let slip to the primogen that I know someone who knows something, and let's just say they're very eager to see you. They want you at Elysium tonight to explain everything. It's going to be at the Succubus Club. In downtown, you won't be able to miss it. Everyone knows the Succubus Club. He says, bring the Tremere with you, but perhaps don't just carry him into the Succubus Club. I'd rather nobody sees him until it's absolutely necessary. We want to be able to just revive him, get the story out of him, and then stake him again. He says, I'll leave it up to you to figure out how that's done. He says, I'm sending around one of my ghouls with a car. Should be there in about 10, 15 minutes. He'll pick you up and bring you to Elysium. Make sure you're ready. So just to clarify, he wants us to bring, obviously bring Bartleby, but he doesn't want us to just walk him in. Yeah, he doesn't want you to just walk into the Succubus Club carrying a torpid kindred. After he finishes talking, he simply hangs up, leaving you in silence. You sigh, put the phone away, and inform the other members of the Coterie that the time has come. Damien's call has arrived, and you are waiting for his car to pick you up for Elysium. Um. Yep. I have a question about Elysium. Yep. Is Elysium a set place, or is it a place that is named Elysium for a so, night for uh, a reason? So you as a thin blood, and furthermore, some a thin blood who is in with the Anarchs and not the Camarilla, you don't really have a have a complete understanding of how it works, as it's mostly a Camarilla custom. But from what you understand Elysium is the word that simply refers to where the Camarilla are gathering and scheming on this night. Sometimes it's in the Prince's Haven. Okay. Yeah, sometimes makes more sense. Okay, so on another night, if the Prince wasn't there and the Primogens weren't there, we could go in and shoot. No, not that we would. Yeah, you go in and shoot someone. But tonight, because they've named it Elysium, all the rules. Are yes. Perfect. No violence. Yes. Okay. Uh, See, 
Because you've sent Elysium a couple times. Yeah. And then said it's at somewhere. And I'm, I, I was just like, okay. Now. So, so the way you understand it is that sometimes it'll be held in the prince's throne room in Sears Tower. Other times it'll be held at the Art Institute where Annabelle will uh, be hosting an event. Tonight it's at the Succubus Club. Yeah, thank God it's up there. But wherever Elysium is, the rules of Elysium are in play, which even as a thin blood, you understand that the rules of Elysium are no violence, no disciplines. Though your Anarch contacts have told you that the rule isn't so much don't do these things, the rule is don't get caught doing these things. And of course, there's... What you would call rules, we call more guidelines. Okay. Yes. More guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> yeah, no. Until you get busted, in which case you just, oh, no. You okay, uh, I'm just going to be right back because my Discord is yep. playing up, so I need to restart it. Yep. Okay, so, uh, Roger, Alexander, is there anything you would like to do before the car arrives? Obviously, we'll pass on that little nugget that Damien said about basically look to the rest and go what exactly are we doing with simple we'll gesture to the torpoid form of Barley on the floor going we can't exactly walk him in through the front door as he is and there's no guarantee he won't simply run the second we release him once um, uh, my hidden gun compartments would they be removable to be like oversized Un- luggage Unfortunately, they are built into the haven, though you could possibly remove one. This would dismantle it for the purposes of the armory, though, as you'd remove a dot from the armory category. Nah, they're not meant to be removed. I'd rather keep them there. Especially, yeah, by the time we try starting to pull that apart. No, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. um... Alexander, you happen to actually have experience on the uh, secret transportation of torpid kindred. Do you have any insights? (laughs) Well, I do have have some wisdom to add. All he needs to do is talk. He doesn't need his arms or legs to talk. That. That's true, but we still need to get him in unseen. Mm. The torso and is a lot easier to transport than a full body. Yeah, he could fit That's in a briefcase. Suggesting we remove the yes. arms and legs. Yes. Um, how big was Barter? Because I. Believe you described him as like a really fat man. He's he's not in, he's not really fat. He's short and rotund, about okay, okay. maybe five foot one, a little bit chubby. So it is possible to you know separate his constituent parts, as it were. Um, would I have like one of those? Oh, pardon me. Sorry. You know those um survival shows on TV how the person will always walk in and they have the big fucking duffel bag that's about as big as their body on their back? Yes, you do indeed have one of these. (laughs) Okay, well, your idea has merit. (laughs) Well, very well. Who'd like to do the grisly task? Uh, I'm okay. Roger just looks down to himself already wearing a suit for the evening going, not a chance in hell. Mm. 
You want to hack him? You want to pull him to pieces? Go ahead. Just make sure there's enough left to talk. I hunt people. I don't dismember people. This might be up to you. Uh, oh, what's your character? Alexa name, Alexander. Alexander. Right, I need to add that to my notes. So, very well. Yep. I step forward, I'll rouse the blood again. Yep. That's not what I wanted. Wait, mm -hmm. slash VR is not not VR slash. What's um, M1's character's name again? Greg. Great, thank you. Alright, um, I don't hungry. have my book with me. <laughs> yep. My hunger does increase. Yep. Uh, and I will make one of my fingers into a long claw and just delicately slide it in underneath the thigh, cutting at each hip joint and shoulder joint. And when my grizzly task is done, I withdraw my claw back into my finger. I will go get my duffel bag. <laughs> look over the file. I was already working on making sure I got all that uh, line I... ready to go. Fair enough. Um, and when I come back with the duffel bag, I will then stow away all my weapons except for my switchblade. Because I'm... You always carry that. I always carry oh, yeah. my switchblade, but I'm not entering an Elysium with any other weapon. Other than that. And so... It reminds me. Yep. Before we go any further, uh, I do look over to Baron going, That reminds me. I have something that you might find interesting. I recently, oh, let's say in a heated discussion, had this thrown at me doesn't really do anything for me, though you might find some use out of it. And I pull out the silvered switchblade I picked up in my uh, sub-episode. Yes. Oh, so uh, Barry, Roger hands you a switchblade and you flick it out. At first it appears to just be a normal switchblade, but you notice the very edge of the blade glimmers in the dim light of the Haven's entryway. And you examine it closely and you realize that a thin layer of silver has been placed over the edge of the blade. Oh, do I know that is silver more effective? I, I honestly don't. You don't you don't know for sure, but you you know, everyone knows the you know, the, the superstition that silver is a particularly dangerous metal to certain supernatural beings. I was going to say, do I notice his uh, confusion when he's like thinking about it so I can just let him know? Yeah, you, of course. It's hmm. going, now I know it's more of a superstition, though the previous owner of this seemed, well, let's say very uh, positive of what it could possibly do. That reminds me, I might need some backup in the future down the line just in case, but that's not for today. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. So, um, yep. Okay, I'll take it, except I'm going to stow it in one of the lockers as well. I, I won't take a silvered one into Elysium. To, yeah. Into Elysium. So, that's a good idea. So, uh, Roger, if you're going to. 
<laughs> Roger, if you're going to put the finishing touches on the file you're making, I'd like you to please make an intelligence academics roll. Yeah, definitely have that. Days, my That's three successes. Three successes. So, you have one last look through the file, and you make sure you've got all the salient bits, particularly the documents pertaining to the accusations of drug running and narcotics trafficking that have been levelled against your sire, these might come in handy. Will you be bringing this file with you to Elysium or is it just for insurance for later? Hmm. I mean, we're already planning on throwing him somewhat under the bus. Plus, I do have copies of this. This isn't the only... Yes, uh, yes, you did make sure you took copies. I'll keep one back in the uh, safe, but otherwise, yes, the rest will definitely be coming with me. Yep. Do you only have one copy? No, he's got two. Oh, God, no. Do you think I'd seriously (laughs) only have one? I will offer to put one copy in one of my hidden armories because they are proof against fire as well. Yes. Done and done. So you cans the other copy to uh, to Barry to store away for safekeeping, and then your working copy, as you've come to call it, you pick it up off your desk and insert it into the folds of your suit jacket. And as you leave your room, turn to shut the door, you notice the Second Inquisition laptop lying on your desk. You haven't had a chance to tinker with it yet, but... You intend to very soon. You pull the door. You pull the door shut behind you, and just in time, from outside, you keenly hear the sound of wheels crunching over gravel, and then the beep beep of a car horn. Damien's car has arrived. Upon hearing that, I will quickly grab one of my ballistic cloth vests and put it underneath a camo jacket that I'm wearing. Yep, just in case. Yes. It is cloth, so I feel like I can get away with that. Yep. (laughs) So you all step out into the entrance hall, and then, Barry, you take the duffel bag containing the dismembered form of Bartleby, sling it over your shoulder, and follow the other two out into the night. Pull the door of the haven shut behind you, and there, sure enough, idling on the sidewalk of the otherwise abandoned we- otherwise abandoned west side chicago street in the middle of this neighborhood of urban decay where only the brave or foolish would be seen at this time of night is a large is a long bulky old style brown cadillac a man with a long grey beard and a yeehaw hat is in the driver's seat. He's looking over at you and waves you over to the vehicle. Do you get in? Yes. 
You step over to the step over to the Cadillac. As you step towards the car, the man reaches over his shoulder, pulls up a uh, pulls up the button lock to unlock the back door, and then pushes the back door open with a groan. You pile into the back seat, which appears to be much larger and more expansive on the inside than it appeared to be from the outside. There's more than enough room for the three of you to stretch out, make yourselves at home, pull the door shut behind you, and without waiting for any greeting or any words, the driver turns the key in the ignition, puts his foot on the pedal, and you're all jostled forwards as he speeds off onto the streets. He drives in silence for about five minutes, and then once he gets onto the overpass that will allow him to allow him to get to downtown without exerting much of his own effort, he sighs, looks over his shoulder, takes you all in and says, Well, you look ready for a night on the town. Means some one way to put it. He says, I'm Darius, by the way. It's a pleasure to meet you, Darius. He says, I'm one of Damien's. Damien says, you're going out of the freezer and into the frying pan tonight. Hmm. Indeed. He says, well, you know, being a ghoul and all, the only time I've ever been into Elysium was to serve a snack. <laughs> he giggles, he says, but I'll give you a tip. Damien says disciplines and all the vampiric powers you guys have aren't allowed in Elysium. He says, but, he says, no one takes that quite seriously. If you think you can get away with it, if you think it can give you an edge, go ahead and use it. Mm. He says, and, from what I hear, you're somewhat lucky tonight. He turns, oh he spins the wheel to the right, turning the car onto a turn-off that leads into downtown Chicago, and you see the blanket of light glass skyscrapers stretching out before you. He says, see, back in the day before the Inquisition was a thing, Prince would call Elysium and he would expect every kindred in the city to be there. So there'd be, what, 100, 200 of all you vamps all in one place together, all of you politicking and scheming, stabbing each other in the back, he says, well, Damien always said he felt cramped in that situation. And, well, if you were trying to make any sort of case to the prince, you had the eyes of the whole city on you, didn't you? He says, well, yeah. Prince Jackson's policy is different these days. He says, with the Inquisition around, Camarilla's decided that it's unsafe to gather in significant numbers. So Elysium these days is invite only. It's the prince, the primogen, and the select few who they've chosen to uh, hobnob with that particular night. He says, so you won't have much in the way of a captive audience 
if that's any comfort to you. We bring our own captive audience. Darius tips the edge of his hat and says, Oh, indeed, Th things, things Damien said about you, uh, I don't doubt it. He says, well, I hope, uh, I hope you know what you're getting into. Even for a ghoul like me, Elysium's some scary shit. And I've heard stories about how the prince is just playing up, playing up, had straight up had folks ashed right there in Elysium. <laughs> Not even getting to the point of declaring a blood hut. No, Damien's told stories about how the old guy, Critias, the Bruja Primogen, just lost his temper, ripped someone's head off right there on the Elysium floor. He smiles and says, I guess the rules against violence and disciplines don't really uh, matter when you're, uh, when you're Critias, huh? Of course they don't. Mm. He says, you know, Damien says that, Damien says that guy's over a thousand years old. I'm not sure if I believe it, but if I was that powerful, well, yeah, I wouldn't be letting any rules stop me from doing what I want. Though I wonder... If he's that old, then how come the prince is able to claim praxis over the city? He trails off. Sometimes it's better to control from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Touché. particular note there, Roger just quietly smiles to himself. Touché, Darius says, smiling. He turns the car off the turn off and out onto the streets of downtown Chicago. He turns off over past 290 and down into what the citizens of Chicago call the Loop, a section of downtown where the best places for the best people are all concentrated. You've heard stories about how once upon a time this portion of downtown was known to kindred as the Rack. This was the place for any kindred who considered themselves anyone to be. They would stop in at all of the trendiest nightclubs and bars in the city, feeding on the prince's hospitality, taking blood from Chicago's from Chicago citizens out to experience the nightlife, moving in between the hottest spots of the night, on their way to and from Elysium, which, as Darius said, was an all-kindred affair back then. Now, the rack is different. There are still some kindred who come here for a night out on the town, but as the calm wends its way through the streets of the Loop. You find that although there are plenty of uh, mortal partygoers out experiencing the nightlife, you only see a couple of kindred here and there. Some of them are brave enough to go out and feed in the rack even on these dangerous nights, but the majority of them stay away, perhaps even more so now that the Camarilla's Elysium is only for those invited. It is not at the same place every night. 
The location of the Elysium changes every night now, and only those who have been invited are told where it will be mere hours before it comes to pass. And so the car moves, continues moving through the loop, passes the Chicago River, and continues on through what was once known as the Rack, until it turns right on North State Street and parks in front of what must clearly be the Succubus Club. And that's not just because of the neon sign blinking in the darkness that reads Succubus Club. No, this building is clearly the place to be for mortal or kindred alike, despite only being two stories tall and flanked on both sides by towering glass skyscrapers. This tiny... This tiny grey stone brick building commands the attention of the whole street. Its neon sign declaring its presence to all passers-by. The Gothic-style architecture, the pillars and minarets flanking the roof above the second floor, complete with a row of gargoyles that peer down onto the street welcoming revelers. There is a line of mortals lining up at the entrance, but Darius stops the car in front of a secondary entrance. There is no line here. Rather, as you climb out of the Cadillac and step out onto the concrete, you find yourselves accosted by a single heavily built bouncer in a black tank top. As you approach, he opens his mouth and smiles, revealing his fangs, a kindred bartender. He looks at you each in turn and he says, Invitations, please. Well, this is a hurdle I wasn't expecting. Hmm. Um... Do we have invitations? You don't. In fact, the only evidence you have that you are here tonight is the call from Damien, which is left the record of the call in Roger's phone that Damien summoned you. I step mm -hmm. by here and we're, I'll say, we're in for the, by the prince's personal invitation. The bouncer sighs. He, he sighs raises a hand to his forehead and he says, you again. He says that this time you've brought friends. He says, you know, he says, you know, you left this place in quite a state last time you were here. Tremere Primogen and Annabelle fought for hours after you left and we ended up having to close the entire nightclub. What and did you... Yeah. yeah, and at this, Roger, <laughs> at this, Roger just looks across going, that's right, we needed to talk about that. Oh, yes. Later. And yet, last time when you checked, I was on your list. <laughs> and I walked out in one piece. So, can you check again? Please make a manipulation, uh, persuade or intimidate check. Uh, well, while he's... Perfecting this encounter, I will be right back. Yep. Right. One second, getting used to new dice ball watch. 
I'm very glad I got to hear about how this went, because this would have been one of those uh, lovely oh shit moments that I not. Uh, that is... One, two, three, four. That's... Yeah, that's a success of five. Okay, so he reaches into the pocket of his denim jeans, pulls out a flip phone, holds it in front of his face. He looks at you and he says, Alexander Borgra? Yes. Roger Maxwell? Yes. Yes. And he looks over at Barry and he says, the thin blood's not on the list, but I presume he's with you? Yes. He says, okay. He says, you, Alexander, you know the rules, but I'm going to say again, you cause any more trouble in there tonight. I'm only, a, I'm only on the other side of the door, and all, all Critias has to do is call my name. You got it? I nod. He says, now, as for, as for you two, he turns to... Roger and Barry. This is Elysium. Inside, there should be no violence, no weapons, no disciplines. You understand? Of course. Of course. Prince has ultimate authority in there. If Prince Jackson is displeased, you probably won't be walking out in one piece. Naturally. He steps aside to let you through. And then as you step forward, he notices the huge duffel bag slung over Barry's shoulder, holds out his hand for you to hold again, and he says, Wait, what's in the bag? Uh, I suppose you could call it tonight's entertainment and the reason why we're here. He looks at you and he says, Yes, and that would be... I turn to him and I go, something that the prince is expecting to see and would be very upset if it were were laid by a mere bouncer. Go ahead, make another manipulation intimidation check. Uh, fuck. Uh, six successes. He nods. He says, okay, all right. Steps back, raises his hands. He says, as long as it ain't plastic explosive, I suppose I can let you through. He smiles. He says, you ever hear that story? Do praise hell. He says, back in, back in the 80s, there was some kitev. I forget his name. This was back when King Loden... This was back when Prince o Loden was uh, in charge. Anyway, some kitev packs a van full of plastic explosive, drives it up in front of Elysium and detonates the thing. He says... What spectacle. He says, oh, yes, I, here it was. So, uh, yeah. Would I know the I, I know the name Prince Loden? Um, you've heard it brought up in conversation a couple of times. You just know it's the previous prince, but that's it, really. Which means I know exactly who that is, because yeah, yeah, who I work with. Yeah, I will say nothing and just go. I'll follow that one away for a later conversation in my head. 
The Bruha bouncer smiles. He points his hand towards the door and says, So, head on in. As long as I got your word, there's not plastic explosive in there. I won't ask any more questions. You push through the metal doors and into the succubus club. As soon as you step over the threshold, your eardrums are almost blown out by the uh, gothic electronic music that's booming throughout the first floor of the succubus club. The entire ground floor appears to be taken up by a gigantic dance floor. A big concrete slab in the centre of the room where throngs of mortals gather dancing the night away. In among them here and there you can see a couple of kindred, perhaps no more than five or six, hobnobbing with the mortals. Carefully, carefully wrapping their arms around them, leading to uh, secluded areas of the dance floor to feed. Around the dance floor, purple carpet marks the areas where visitors can experience some privacy in the in the couple of booths that are flanked around the edges of the dance floor. To the right of the dance floor, there is a long black bar that goes across the entire room. Behind it, a mortal bartender, though with his bloodshot eyes, you quickly determine him to be a ghoul, is quickly mixing, quickly mixing drinks for the party goers. In the span of only 15 seconds, you see him pour four cocktails and send them sliding down the bar to his customers. Behind the bar, flanked by red ribbons, red ribbons and golden and golden wayposts, is a metal staircase that leads up to the second floor, a balcony overlooking the ground floor. And this is where the Primogen and the Prince are holding Elysium. What would you guys like mm. to do? Well, considering the nature of the evening and knowing this may be the last chance to do so, because if we fail, we all die horribly, I'm going to take this uh, opportunity to get a very stiff drink before we go. Yep. How's everyone else looking on hunger? Uh, hunger, I need to eat. Yeah. Yeah, same. As do I. Yes. Oh? I mean, <laughs> what's, where's I don't... Annabelle? Yeah. Are you going to head straight? Are you going to head straight to try to find Annabelle? Yeah. Alright. So, this is Elysium for the night, the Succubus Club, and it is part of the Rack, which means essentially it is the Prince's domain, meaning guests of the Prince may feed here so long as they do not break any traditions. And so, we shall go with, uh, we shall go with Alexander first, as you've got the most uh, particular tastes. So, Alexander... You leave the other members of your coterie behind. Tell them you're tell them you're going to go find a drink. You walk straight past the bar, and as you do so, someone catches your eye. Sitting there at one of the stools on the bar is her, clad in her leather jacket and 
form-fitting leggings, her shoulder-length black hair tossed over the back of her tossed over the back of her head tied in a long ponytail her beautiful eyes staring at you is helena as you walk past her she simply winks did you do anything i ignored her and continued you continue walking and you can feel her gaze on your back as you move past her. Unclip the red ribbon from the gold waypost and make your way upstairs to the Primogen's area, to the VIP balcony. You step out onto the glass-floored balcony. You see Prince Jackson and all his primogen. Their backs are turned to you. You hear their whispers as they are deep in discussion. Amongst them, on the very edge, are two of the primogen, Annabelle and Horatio Ballard. You can't help no but notice that they seem to be excluded from the circle that the other primogen and the prince have formed shutting them out. Instead, Horatio Ballard peers into the circle, stands up on the edge of his toes and tries to peer over someone's shoulder to get a word in edgewise, while Annabelle just sits in her chair away from the group looking bored. She <laughs> sees you step onto the, onto the VIP floor and her eyes immediately light up she climbs to her feet, uses her hands to straighten her black cocktail dress and brush some blonde hair out of her face. And then she comes very well running across the floor. She reaches you and says, Darling! Darling! Ah, oh, we've been expecting you tonight, darling. She says, I... She says... I bet you're hungry, aren't you, darling? I adjust my collar and Is indeed so. I've been busy. She says, come, come with me. She holds out her hand. She says, well, the rest of them discuss the, the blood plague. I shall take you for a little bit of one-on-one -on -one instruction. Gotta beat those butts thoughts out of your head, remember? She grabs you by the hand and leads you off the floor to one of the adjoining VIP rooms. As soon as you're in there, she shuts the door, pushes you down onto the purple couch and sits on your lap. She begins to reach for the back of her dress, undoes the button at the top and then pulls down the zip revealing her bare back. She slides her left arm out from under the clothing and bears her naked arm to you. She says, sink my teeth into her wrist. You sink your teeth into her wrist and take your fill. Your hunger goes down to one. As you drink, Annabelle leans over. She grabs your arm, raises it to her mouth, and begins to also drink. And you sit there wrapped in each other's embrace. 
for the next five minutes. The ecstasy passes. Annabelle separates herself. She pulls her arm back into her dress, pulls the zip up, pops the button into the hole, reaches up and uses her hands to quickly restyle her hair that's become loose and frazzled all over her shoulders during the feeding. And then she smiles and she says, feeling better now, darling? I run my tongue across her wrist, removing the signs of my fang. She leans forwards and licks your neck, sealing the holes. And then she says, good, darling, good, good. Now, I hope you know what you are going to say out there tonight, darling, because, well, let me let you in on a little secret. Remember that, uh, remember that function I had that I was planning at the gallery down at the Art Institute? Yes. Yes, indeed I was. Until a member of the ministry that... That bastard Luke Ruins the whole thing. Someone bought the first murder Roden sculpture from under my nose and replaced it with a mockery of Michelangelo's David holding a knife to his groin area. She says, and the prince, worse, won't talk to me. (sighs) She says as she stands up. She says, so whatever you're going to say out there tonight, uh, please, uh, Don't rely on old Annabelle to back you up, because, darling, darling, they won't listen to a word I have to say. At least until that, at least until this uh, terrible faux pas drops from their memories. As she leads you out of the room, she turns and looks at you and says... So what if I frenzied in Elysium? So what if I grabbed one of the exhibition curators and drained him dry against the Mona Lisa? Who cares? I'm the primogen of the Toreador, darling! She's red in the face as she leads you out of the room. And let's go of your head. Gives you one more smile and then biting her bottom lip makes her way back over to her seat at the Primogen Council. Meanwhile, we cross over to Roger. Roger, you are on the first floor. Uh, What are you looking to feed on tonight? Um, Well, considering the nature of this place, I'm guessing I'm not getting my usual Oh, I mean, you could head outside and head outside and try to find a homeless person. Uh, well, if I'm allowed to, I'm guessing I'd still have to make sure I can get back in afterwards. Yes, we shall see. Uh, okay, so you leave Barry on the edge of the dance floor and head back towards the VIP entrance to the Succubus Club. As you push the door open, the Bruja bouncer raises his eyebrow, looks at you, and he says, Leaving already? 
No, no, just uh, need to clear my head before tonight's entertainment. Also, it's been a while since I've been in such a loud area. You can understand that uh, a moment to adjust. Him? Uh, I'll be, uh, I, I suppose there's uh, such a thing as being able to get back in. It's not just a one and done deal. He looks you up and down and he says, yeah, it doesn't look like you're seen. Here. He grabs your hand, pulls it up, reaches into his pocket and pulls out a rubber stamp. And then he stamps the back of your hand and he says, that'll get you back in. Uh, just try not to spend too long out here. Your name's on the list. That means the Primogen wants to see you tonight. And if you keep them waiting, there'll be hell to pay. <laughs> no, no. Just a quick in and out. He I nods. He nods, get, catching your meaning. And he says, ah, going to get a drink. And the uh, bar doesn't quite cater to your tastes. Don't worry. Don't worry, I understand. I'll never get why you Ventru have to be so fussy about what you drink, but I ain't gonna ask any questions. Mm, it's a uh, quiet taste. I'd like you to make a manipulation pl plus persuasion roll, please. Uh, this would be for finding... Finding a vessel. Cool, so I can use all of those. Um... Five successes. Five successes. You walk about a block away from the Succubus Club and you're astounded by how quickly the glitz and glamour of downtown switches to urban decay. On one side of the street, it's... One side of the street, it's the place to be. On the other side of the street... The buildings are shrouded in shadow, the sidewalks clean, empty, nobody braving nobody braving these neighborhood this neighborhood at this time of night. It looks clean at first, but you realize that the dirty underbelly of the city has simply been swept away. And so you pass an apartment tenement and turn left into a dust-covered alleyway. You walk between several buildings, and sure enough, you find a lone homeless man curled up on the back doorsteps of one of the buildings. He looks as if he's trying to go to sleep. His eyes are closed, and his right hand cradles a half-empty whiskey bottle, still wrapped in a brown bag. You approach him, lean over, and carefully shake him awake. He opens his eyes, and at first is startled to see you there, but then he recognises your face. By this point, everyone in the city, everyone who is a part of King Olaf's brood, knows who Roger Maxwell is. And so he simply smiles and leans forward, bearing his neck to you. Excellent. I will have my fill. I won't train him dry, obviously, but I will pay him for a job well done and make my way back uh, towards the club. Also, really enjoying the fact that uh, this era of Chicago is basically maggots in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> and so you reset your hunger to one. You leave him with enough blood to survive. And then as he lies back 
on the doorstep, gasping for breath, his skin pale as he, as he feebly moves, recovering from your feeding. You lean over, grab a $20 note out of your wallet and place it in his left place it on his left palm and then close his fingers around it and then well fed you make your way back to the succubus club you hold out your hand to the bouncer showing him the stamp he nods and steps aside for you to regain entry and once again your eardrums are almost blown out by the gothic electronic music and you sigh and shudder as you step once again onto the fringes of the dance floor. Barry, what are you looking for? So what are the rules for feeding here? So the rules for feeding are, you may feed and do as you wish, as long as you abide by the traditions. That is, do not do anything that would breach the masquerade or cause the mortals here to think that something is out of the ordinary and to respect the hospitality of the prince. So probably not wise to kill someone. Nah, well, um, I don't have any specific pace or anything, so I, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just looking for something to drink, I guess. You're not looking for a resonance? No, not tonight, because I do not plan on using any abilities. That's fair. I am not I am not a talker. I am a doer, and tonight will all be, be all about backing up the two talkers of our group. Yep. The, yep. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, by the way, uh, Roger, the homeless man who you drank from has a phlegmatic resonance, granting you an extra dice to your auspects and auspects or dominate. Yeah, that's going to be dominate. Um, so the next actually, time you feed again. Dominate's probably not going to work, but then again, all I have in auspects is uh, heightened senses. Which mm, could be useful. Maybe. So you'll pick auspects? Yes, I will tonight. Normally uh, dominate, but there's... Uh, not a whole lot of point in trying to do that, considering the people I'd be dominating would probably destroy me instantly. Very well. So, Barry, you are an alley cat, meaning that although you're going to try not to kill anyone tonight, you still have a very specific process that you use when feeding. So, I would like you to please make, depending on whether you wish to head onto the dance floor and lure someone off, to somewhere more subdued where you can do as you wish with them or whether you wish to leave the dance floor entirely head out into the back nether regions of the building the bathrooms and dressing rooms see if you can find someone on their own and attack them there i would ask you to please make a strength brawl check or a wit streetwise check i just realized that me attacking someone i can't hide you can't. I don't have teeth. You... I don't have teeth. I need, to, I need to stab them. Yeah, so you're going to attack someone regardless. Uh, can I come to that realisation and just go, maybe I won't feed them? Yeah, sure, if you don't, if you think that's yeah, not safe. I, yeah, I feel like attacking someone to feed would be a bad idea tonight. What's yeah, your... I'm only, on, I'm only on hunger three, so... Okay, I'm yep. Not, yeah, I'm not starving so you look and watch the you you walk over to the bar you take a seat and you watch the dance floor and you see occasionally people get up leave the dance floor head off 
to the bathrooms and for a moment you're tempted to follow one of them, maybe pin one of them to the wall, feed, take, take with force the blood that your beast is crying out for, for. but you realise that you'd have to stab somebody, it's the only way you have to draw blood. Regardless, you'd be committing violence and you're not sure you'd be able to keep this hidden. So you try your best to suppress your beast. You sit at the you sit at the stool, and when the bartender offers you a drink, you you calmly refuse, and then you just sit and wait for the members of your coterie to return. As you sit and watch the dance floor, you notice there's a woman beside you, young, attractive. Her pale skin lit up with a with a slight pink tint in the violet light of the succubus club. Her long black hair tied into a ponytail. Her form accentuated by tight black leggings and a leather jacket underneath which she wears a tight black tank top. She watches the dance floor. Then she turns her gaze to you. She looks at you with a knowing look in her eyes, and she says, Hmm, not the time or place to feed, right? You should say that. She says, Oh, I understand entirely. She looks back towards the dancing mortals, and she smiles, and she says, Let's just say that my preferred way of feeding is not catered for by this establishment. How do you mean? She says, well, let's just say that it's not quite my style to drag someone off the dance floor, have my way with them, and then send them back to pretend as if nothing happened. Okay. She says, she says, you're quite new to this, aren't you? First time at Elysium? Second time, actually, but you could pretty much call it the first time, officially. She looks you up and down. She says, and your blood is quite thin from the looks of it, so uh, forgive me for saying, you probably don't get invited to uh, many Elysia these nights. No, being sin-blooded, no, but also I wouldn't expect many under-five-year-old, um, what's the word for recently? Neonates. Neonates. I wouldn't expect many neonates get uh, invited either. She smiles. She says, not these nights, no. Mostly Ancilla these nights, but... Once upon a time, Elysium was for everyone, she smiles, and she says, hmm, feeding was much easier back then. She looks you up and down, and her eyes narrow, and you sort of get the feeling that she's peering right into your soul, as if she's peering past your flesh and bones into something that lies within. It. I would like you to please make, uh, let me, uh, I'm just going to be a second, just going to grab, go to the part in the book that I'm 
waiting for or that I need to use. Um, I would like you, Barry, to please make a composure plus sub... uh, to make a composure plus subterfuge check. Okay, that's not entirely bad. That's... That's uh, going to be four, three. Two successes. Two successes. I'm going to roll for her. And that oh, is... Oh, she And that is... Uh, she's going to rouse the blood. Her I hunger... I think I know who this is, and if it's who I think it is, I'm... She rouses the blood. Her hunger does not go up. She adds ten dice to her dice pool. Jesus Christ, maybe it's not... And she gets twelve successes. Oh, God! (laughs) She smiles. She smiles, and she says, Oh, she says, you... Turned your touchstone into a ghoul? She's very, very interesting. She says, a man after my own heart. I too once had a touchstone. And what what do you know? I turned him into a ghoul. And we were happy for many years. She says, but that means that your blood is unsuitable for me. She looks away. She says, consider yourself lucky. She says... I'm Helena, by the way. Um, pleasure to meet you. Um, why do I get the feeling that I just survived by the skin of my teeth? (laughs) Do you say that to her? Yeah. She nods and she says, hmm, because it's true, my dear. She looks over towards the entryway and she says, ah, and there's the Ventru. Uh, there's your Ventru friend. I guess it's time for you to enter Elysium and see what embarrassments they shall foist upon my dear Annabelle. Fuck is Helena. Oh, dear Annabelle. Who the, who the fuck is <laughs> What the hell have you making friends with? Jesus. As. Not Jesus, but. As, as uh, Roger approaches, she simply smiles and says, There's no need to fear me, young Thinblood. I'm but a neonate like you, after all. She winks, climbs out of her stool, and makes her way towards the dance floor. Pleasure meeting you. Have a good night. There is no way in hell. She, if she's a neonate, I'm... Fucking Kane reincarnated. <laughs> uh, who has Ospex? Uh, Ro- Roger, Roger I, does. I senses, but yeah, I don't think my Ospex um, is if, that high up in the no, world. Yeah. If we have a discipline, does that mean that we know roughly what we can achieve when we get... Yes. Oh, no. If you mention that part to me, I, I know firsthand what she was doing, if you explain yeah. it to me. Um, yeah, as you walk up, I go, uh, Roger, mm. um... Your abilities, uh, do you know how someone might look at you and know what you've done without telling someone about it? Yeah, you just see him get uncomfortable and going, ah, uh, well, I'm not as versed in the auspex as some, but I know 
personally of an ability that once you get far enough, you can quite literally peer into someone's soul. Rather annoying, actually. You know, spend this much time trying to block the mind from being read to find out there's an even stronger ability that can just completely bypass it. Yeah. I take um, it that means you're making friends already. Yeah, um, can we can we get to the night over and done with I, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> well, if it's a like this, depending on how this goes, we probably never have to come here again. <laughs> yes, well, I don't... This must be what the sh they feel like when I'm hunting them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure it does. You both make your way to the staircase that leads up to the Primogen's area. Someone has already unclipped the ribbon, presumably Alexander. So as you step onto the staircase, Roger turns around, clips it back to the gold waypost. You climb up the stairs and you find Roger, le you find uh, Alexander leaning against the banister, waiting for you. Alexander, as your two coterie mates climb up the staircase, you notice Barry looking particularly pale. And this is strange for him, as being a thin blood, he usually looks, uh, usually has far more colour to his uh, pallor than other kindreds, and so it looks as if he's seen a ghost. I thought I leaned forward to whisper into his ear. So, met dear Helena. Yeah, uh, that was an experience. I'm guessing I'm gonna have no idea who that is. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Alexander. I said, oh, I said that it is. That it is. Uh, who who is she? Uh, okay, um, I will tell you after the session. <laughs> I, was, I was asking Alexander. Oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. What do you say, Alexander? Something not to be trifled with. Oh, I got the statement of the freaking citrus. <laughs> Very well. Uh, uh, for five minutes, and we're already making friends. <laughs> you take, you step out onto the primogen's floor itself, the floor made up of a series of glass tiles, each about a foot, each, of, each about a foot in area. At the very back of the balcony, the primogen lounge in their centre, Prince Jackson. As you approach, as they hear your footsteps... They look up, extract themselves from the huddled circle they are in, make their way back to their individual seats and wait for you to approach. In the very centre of them is Prince Jackson, his white, perfectly tailored suit, a contrast to his ebony dark skin. He just watches you silently with his yellow eyes as you approach. To his right and left, the Bruja and Tremere Primogens. The, the Tremere Primogen wearing a long flowing red cloak embroidered into the hem of it, an image of a pyramid. As you step forward, you notice his gaze lingering on Alexander, his lips curled into a frown. On the other side... An elderly-looking, olive-skinned man with a long, flowing white beard. Despite his advanced age, he appears to be well-built. You can see his muscles 
bulging under his under his tweed uh, professor's jacket and slacks. This must be Critias. The other Primogen look over and watch. You get the feeling they are less important, but they are Primogen nonetheless. The Malkavian Primogen son, his hair dishevelled, his eyes looking bloodshot and red. And to you, Roger, it brings to mind the look of bloodlust and anger that the hound Alexa had wore constantly on her face. Mm-hmm. Opposite him, a woman wearing jeans and a cloth vest with a peace symbol on it. Her long flowing black hair flanked with blue and purple streaks. The gangrel primogen, Anita. And then, in front of them all, their chairs, their their purple plush armchairs pushed a short distance away to separate them from the rest of the Primogen. The Ventru and Toreador Primogen. Annabelle, a beautiful woman with long flowing golden blonde hair and a body hugging red cocktail dress. And opposite her, Horatio Ballard, a man so big that folds of his body hang over the sides of the armchair as as he watch as he turns his head to watch you you notice that you cannot see his neck it's covered up by at least three chins his bulbous eyes follow your progress across the room and as he watches he raises a hand to his chin to his many chins to ponder and you notice that all of his fingers have the size and shape of salamis. Mm, lovely. The prince regards you. He stares at you. Uh, let's see. Uh, he stares at you each in turn, looking you down one by one. And then he stands, climbs out of his chair, stands before you, and he says, Welcome to Elysium. I am your prince, Prince Jackson. Beside me are your primogen. He holds out his right hand, makes a hand gesture, and then stepping out from the shadows behind him, you see Damien. He says, my sheriff, Damien, you apparently already know, and I'm told it is he who invited you to Elysium this night. He looks around as if expecting to introduce you to someone else, but then he clearly can't find who he's looking for, so he sighs and sits back down in his chair while Damien takes a step forward, folds his arms and smiles at you. Prince Jackson says, Do you know why you are here tonight? Um, a gesture to the suitcase. Suitcase or duffel? I thought it was duffel bag. Duffel bag. Yep. This should explain it. Cool. As, 
as you say this, you notice the Tremere primogen, Abraham de Sable, looking with intense hatred at Alexander. And after Alexander finishes talking, he turns to the prince and says, They know very they know full well while they're here, my prince. The look of guilt on the Zemisi scum's face says it all. Barry, Roger, what do you do? Um, we're obviously here to discuss the uh, matter of the blood plague. I was asking that one out of question before yep. I answer, because I believe that's uh, exactly why they pulled us into this ship. Yep. Yeah. Um, we know something. Of, well, I'm not saying this in character. Um, yeah. Answering. Answer, yes. Yeah, we, yeah. we are here yeah. because we're called in for the blood plague. Yeah. The prince nods. And he says, yes, the blood plague. The blood plague that, as my primogen informed me, uh, first originated at your party, your illegal rave held at your haven at the behest of anarch contacts. As he says this, the old man next to him, Critias, growls and says, those anarchs, nothing but trouble. If you would allow me to purge them all from the city, my prince. The prince raises his hand and says, The time will come, Critias, for now I wish to learn how close these neonates and the Inquisition have brought us all to destruction. He says, What do you have to say about that, Ventru? I will nod at being addressed, because obviously that one's Flamingo. Not a bad attempt at understanding the situation, however, only half right. Well, yes, it is entirely true that the event first did appear, well, was first publicly made aware of that an event. We were merely repaying a favor, as it's usually expected. When one helps out others. Good. Oh, yep. Let's. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Continue. I was just going to tell you what to roll. Ah. But that is not the entire story. So before we start annihilating any more of our own kind, let us first discuss the facts as they actually occurred, shall we? I'd like you to make a charisma or composure plus etiquette check, please. It's pretty much the same regardless of how I handle this. And will you be using any of your disciplines? Mm, no, because literally the people sitting here are like the most powerful group in the entire city, so I feel like going all guns blazing out of the gate is a terrible decision. How many successes do you get? Uh... Four. As you say this, the Malkavian primogen's son raises his hand, he brushes some disheveled block of hair out of his face, bears his fangs and says, They owe favours to the Anarchs, that should say it all, my prince! And he's going to roll, and he gets three successes. You deal one point of willpower damage in the social combat. The prince nods. Raises his left hand, silently beckoning for Sun to simmer down. And he says, Yes, their affiliation with the Anarchs is a point of contention, but 
we were all neonates once, and we all owed boons to the wrong sorts of people in our early nights. Let us not hold them to account for that. He says, so, you say that the blood plague did not in fact originate at your rant, but existed prior. Tell me, what, tell me about this, and furthermore, what proof do you have that this is the case? Are we, uh, I'll look to the, uh, the rest of the group, are we pulling out the, uh, evidence now, or do you want me to elaborate further before we get into that? Well, I'll, I'll step forward and elaborate for this point. Oh, yep. I step, forward, I step forward and go, no, it was a plaything of the Blood Witches. Oh, oh, go ahead, please make a manipulation intimidation check. So what? What? He's... Yeah, I... Yeah, he's, he's basically just stepped forward and said, no, the Tremere made it. Oh, well, oh, he's not uh, wrong, but, yeah. oh, wow, right off the, oh, wow. Okay, let's see where this goes. Yeah. That's the problem, though. He's, he's had a line, but he's, he is right. <laughs> Just to see if we actually survive this now, because shit. How, how, uh, let's see, that's, uh, four, uh, that's two Oh wait, no, Tom didn't roll yet. That's six. Okay, six. Alright. I'm going to roll for Abraham Dusable. The man made it for 20 p.m. Ah, oh, uh, wait, no, Tom, you have to Tom, you have to roll Yeah, Tom, you have to roll your manipulation intimidation check. I'll do it. I know what he's hung. Uh, oh wait. Uh, I know what he I know it from before, so the pool would be nine and the hunger is one. One success. Oh, shit. So, Alexander steps forwards and says, no, it was the fault of the blood witches. I'm going to roll for Abraham Dusable. He gets three six. Yep. Um, can I spend a willpower point? To re-roll? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. The best, I'll do it. Uh, let's uh, re-roll failures. Three successes now. Join us. All right. So Abraham Disable's going to roll. That is four successes for Abraham Disable. Abraham Disable immediately stands up and says, How dare you, Zemisi scum, lay this upon my clan. He says, That says it all, Prince. He is a servant of the Sabbat. He has indoctrinated his coterie, and they seek to destroy us all. That will be one point, one point of superficial willpower damage to you all, please. All of us? Yes, all of you. Because uh, you're all in the social combat. I smile okay. at this point, and I forward, yeah. and I go, does not the Camarilla umbrella, its original founding, um, meaning puts very extends its umbrella off under all kindred kinds. And if you were so the camera was so generous to extend its protections and society upon the blood leeches with stolen gift, then why not one of the 
vampires that they stole their gift from. I would the, the, the kindred that they are pale limitations of. As you say this, you, as Alexander says this, you just see the Tremere Primogen's face wrinkle in anger. I would like Alexander to please make a manipulation plus etiquette check. Oh, okay. We're going to check what this is. I'll be right back. Uh, I'm just going to have to explain that entire sentence to me at some point, but that's, that's going to be a long conversation. Yeah. Uh, long story short, Alexander got access to a lot of books last episode. So yeah. Uh, About okay. the history of his clan, basically. Well, you, you roll through with that, and I'll elaborate uh, when they decide to ask more questions. Uh, they are. Eight. Uh, one. Wait, that didn't work. Or is it slash VR? Yes, slash VR. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm still getting... That's alright. Yeah, you're good. Uh, that is six successes. Six successes. As you say this, Critias raises a hand and says, Yes, Camarilla is for all, but the Sabat clans rejected the offer, and that is still in the memories of all of us here. So how many successes did you get? Eight. Eight. Critias... Six. 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 Critias gets seven successes. So you deal one point of superficial willpower damage to the Camarilla. And the prince raises a hand. He says, I know, Critias. I'm aware of that. But these are things that happened hundreds of years ago before I was even embraced. And Critias narrows his eyes and says, but not I. The prince says, says, yes, but what Alexander speaks is the truth. The Camarilla once once offered membership to all kindred. However, that was in a time before the Inquisition. These are different knights. He says, and... Suspicion still lies upon your coterie. At this, Annabelle stands up and she says, My prince, I know for a fact that this coterie did not have anything to do with the blood plague, for Alexander was working with me. (laughs) Abraham Disable leads forwards and he yells, Just because you have the Zemetheus, your pet, Annabelle does not mean the rest of the coterie were accounted for. He turns to Barry and Roger and he says, What do you have to explain yourselves? Let us not waste time here. Your Zemisi friend is only digging your grave deeper. Go! Tell us where the blood plague came from and how you can prove it. Well, he wasn't entirely wrong with his uh, original acquisition. However, I would like to elaborate. Well, it was, in fact, a member of the... Uh, which clan was it that you... Tremere. 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 Tremere clan. You can also refer yeah. them to blood leeches, if you wish. Okay. Yes. Blood, well, well, I'll... I'll um, Tremere, <laughs> just to be... <laughs> We'll go with Tremere just to be friendly. Well, not maybe not friendly, but you know what I mean. Polite, that's the word I was going for. I don't know why I missed out that one going. Civil. 
Civil, yes. Yeah, that's it, civil. Thank you. God, I'm supposed to be one of the smart people here, having a complete brain fade on that one. It was, in fact, a member that has long since been removed from the clan. With while he's while he's talking, I will sl- slowly remove the bag from my shoulders and just sit it in front of me. Yep. So Barry um, removes the bag, places it down in front of him, and this is not unnoticed by the primogen. They all turn and watch as the bag is placed on the ground, and I will. I, I nod back to um, Roger and to finish what he's saying, and then when he's finished, I will. Yes. Look for a sign to say that I could open it. Roger, I would ask you to please make a charisma etiquette check. Alrighty, here we go. Actually, I might try and raise the ball on this one. Yep, go ahead. That is a six. Brings us up to eight, I believe, for that. Yep. So, how many successes? That is two. Uh, six. <laughs> six. As Barry places the duffel bag on the floor, the Tremere Primogen's eyes go wide. He turns to the prince and he says, A Tremere exiled from the clan, a kaitif. Do not let them open that bag, my prince. They seek to do as Sebastian Cooper did. And blow the succubus club sky high. I feel like we could breathe in this guy's presence and he would blame this shit on us trying to kill them all. <laughs> I, I lift up the bag and with a nail, I slice it open and let the, the torso fall out. Yep. So first of yeah, all... This guy's killed. I, I'll, I'll buy it myself. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, Abraham only got two successes, so that is two points of willpower damage that Roger inflicts. The prince, the prince rolls his eyes. He looks over at Abraham and he says, "And yet, if Sebastian Cooper did not blow up Elysium with dynamite, you would not be primogen of your clan." He <laughs> looks over. Oh, oh. <laughs> Shots fired! <laughs> he looks over at the bag and he gestures for you to open it. So Alexander leads down and slices it with his finger as he cuts through the canvas. The torpid torso of Clarence Bartleby rolls out onto the floor. Abra- I, would, I would just like to say that during all of this, Barry is standing here slightly confused because all this bickering is completely new to him. Yeah, completely yeah. new. He hasn't, he hasn't been in a social situation with the higher-ups. This is like the first time he's seen higher-up vampires. Yeah, at all. And, and, and it, well, Roger's just literally just, just looks like, like being in a freaking courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, kindergartners yelling at each other. They are. Yeah. <laughs> Wisely keeping his mouth shut. Even better. <laughs> and so as the torso as the torso rolls out onto the floor, you see Abraham Disable's eyes widen as he fixates upon it. I'm going to have him roll to resist frenzy. Oh god. Oh yay. He got one success. He stands up out of his seat. His eyes flaming red, blood dripping out of his mouth. He points a finger at the torso. 
and he says, That, that is Clarence Bartleby, a one-time personal friend of mine, member of my clan. He sweeps his head over. His gaze lingers on Alexander. He says, how, how dare this Zemisi stake a member of my clan and bring him here before me. I smile at him and go like, I said, I know I'm the one that cut his arms and legs off too. I mutter just loud enough for Roger to hear. He just admitted that he's still part of the clan. Yep. Yeah, Roger will uh, happily just swallow and going, Ah, excellent. So you do know him. That saves us some time. And as far as we'd heard, he was considered excommunicado, though it seems that's not the case. So I would like Alexander to please do a manip- manipulation intimidation check, and I would like uh, Roger to please do a manipulation persuasion check. Alrighty then. And this is why I only mutter things. <laughs> yes, please, keep feeding me ideas that will ruin these assholes. I love it. Uh, three successes. Oh, this is gonna hurt people. Alright, so we have one, two, three, four, and then there's a crit, so six, six success, uh, sorry, seven successes, I forgot one. I'm going to add those together, so nine successes. Abraham to Sable protests. He begins walking towards the torso, shouting, Who staked him? I demand to know who staked him. That is an assault on a higher clan of the Camarilla. When the pyramid finds out, he's going to roll. And that is five successes, meaning you got four successes above him, inflicting four points of willpower damage. He's going to roll to resist Frenzy, but he only has one willpower left. That is zero successes. He reaches the torso, looks down at it, and you hear him say, Alas, poor Bartleby, I knew that this crawling tongue would bring you only misfortune. Then he roars. His eyes flame red. He shouts, Who placed the stake in his chest? Who? Oh, wow. The fact he admitted full-heartedly that he knows about the whole tongue situation. This is... This is fun. I'm I'm still terrified of what could possibly happen here, but I'm enjoying this show so far. Is is anyone going to say anything? I'm not going to say anything. And if you're going to make me roll for it, just remember that I didn't place it in his chest. I fired it. Yes, you fired it. I'm going to say no one placed it in his chest. I'm going to say I did it. Ooh. He He turns immediately to face Alexander. Then he opens his mouth and he just roars. And he begins to run towards Alexander. And then... Yep. Go ahead, Alexander. I yell out for Annabelle's help. In a blink, in the in a flash of movement, you see Annabelle rise from her chair. She moves as a blur to Alexander's side. Roger and Barry, you look over your shoulder. You notice that the floor below is quiet. All of the kindred who were um, who were milling around with the party goers have stopped. They are now all standing at the bar, looking up on the balcony, observing 
observing the disturbance that is currently happening. And you can't help but notice Helena smiling broadly. Yeah, I want to keep an eye out for that one. She is an interesting too. As Annabelle and Alexander stand firm, Abraham Disable roars again. I would like everybody to please make a wits awareness check. Can I arouse the blood for this? Yes, you can. So, um, instead of rolling a d6, so I just go VR1 and then it's a success. Yep, yep. Um, that is five on my end. Yeah, so I succeeded my hunger, so I now have seven dice. Seven. Okay. Uh, no, I, need to, I, I still need to roll. I have go ahead. Yep, go ahead. Roll. Uh, total failure for me. Oh, yep. Six. So Alexander is Alexander is too startled to notice this, but Barry and Roger, you notice that for a brief moment, less than a second, Abraham Disable's eyes flash bright yellow, the same bright yellow that you saw from the eyes of the corpse that hosted the crawling tongue. And he roars, opens his mouth, and calls, Die, canine! Annabelle raises her hands, ready to defend Alexander, and then you see another blur as Critias, the Bruja Primogen, rises off his seat, blinks across the room so fast that you do not even see a blur, and almost instantaneously stands between Abraham Dusable and Alexander. In one swift motion, he reaches out a hand, his fist drawn. You hear a sickening crunch, and then watch as Abraham Dusable's torso is wrenched from its legs and flung across the room. Spraying Alexander, Annabelle, and Critias with blood. The legs take a single step forwards and then fall to the ground, limp. Is, is that a death? You watch, and you, watch, you look over at where Abraham Disable's torso lies. And then before your eyes... You see a small spark of flame begin to surge down his skin, and then his legs and his torso melt into ash within seconds. Oh. Oh, so what? he's dead dead. Yeah. What? Um, can I look at where the head is and see if um, a creature crawls out of the ashes? You can. I'd like you to make a uh, wits awareness check to watch it. Uh, three successes. I... For this, I would like to use a willpower. Yep. To re-roll those three failures. Uh, that's another three, so that becomes six successes, and I used one willpower, was it? Yep. As the head and torso begin to melt into ash, you think you see a small wisp of black smoke rise from them. The Primogen do not notice. Their eyes are too fixated upon Alexander and Annabelle. But you and Roger watch as the wisp of smoke rises above the glass floor. And then when it reaches the skylight above... It changes for a split second. You see the shadowy form of a bird take flight and 
and ascend out into the darkness. So again. Well, Critias. Here and wait to see how this goes to shit. Critias rubs his hands together. He looks at Alexander and Annabelle, and he says, "Zamisi, though you are, I will not allow harm to come to anyone in Elysium." He says, "And I'm not yep. Annabelle. Yes, same." He, he says. I am a reasonable man. I allow anyone to have the chance at survival so long as they follow the traditions. Annabelle has been educating you, instilling within you the Camarilla traditions and destroying the seeds of Sabbat indoctrination in your mind. Is that correct? Annabelle nods and says, Of course, Critias, darling. Consider it my little experiment. He turns to Roger and Barry and he says, You, Ventru, and Thin Blood, you have not broken the masquerade, as far as I'm aware. You have not broken the traditions. Tell me, this torpid form before me, you accuse him of being the one behind the blood plague. Is that correct? Yes and no. Yes, he was put up to the task, but he had a significant amount of help from both sides of the board. He, he nods, then he looks at Barry and he says, What of Thinblood involvement? I heard that Thinblood alchemy was used to attenuate the virus. Tell me why this should not... Tell me why this should not result in a purge of all Thinbloods from the city this night. Because he, my he was, dear sir, as, as you begin, as as uh, Roger begins to talk, he looks and says, "I asked the thin blood." Very well. Um, the thin bloods in question were involved. However, it was under duress. They were captured. They were starved, and. The thing that held sway over this man's, uh, uh this kindred, uh... Yeah, kindred. This, in this kindred's mind at the time, which we will explain, um, devoured the thin bloods when they stopped becoming of use. And as I'm sure is the same of everyone, they wished to survive, so they did as they were told. Critias smiles. So, so he was under somebody's thrall then. Yes. Uh, the, oh, you're probably not going to fully believe me. Um, some sort of creature had inhabited um, a corpse, which I believe, when it was inhabited, was a thin blood friend of his and was communicating with him telepathically and had sent him what I believe to be insane enough that it had sway over his decisions. 
Our recently departed friend, I point to the pile of ashes on the floor, referred to it as the Lord Tongues. Though, if we uh, to remove the stake from this one, he can say that himself, as he's insanely devout to the point of madness. Critias nods. He says, we will deal with that later. This crawling tongue, I've not heard of it before, but it sounds like something we should pay attention to. Yes, and we will get to that in just a moment, since it's he was not the, as I stated, he was not the only one involved in the, uh, this particular experiment. While he was the one in charge and forcing the Thinbloods to work, he was first approached by, well, the, uh, his work was first approached by none other than the members of, and pauses for a minute and goes, the Second Inquisition. Critias smiles. The prince raises a hand and says, Yes, we were aware of the Second Inquisition involvement, but we do not understand why a kindred would willingly work with them. Uh, uh, ah, that is where the interesting part comes in. Well, yes, there was... Both, both were involved. It seems that someone from your side has actually been manipulating this entire ordeal. A member, well, outside member of the Camarilla, you setting this entire meeting up, allowing the Second Inquisition to meet with Thea Bartleby here, and ensuring that, well, their intentions were to initially allow you to use your, shall we say, somewhat misguided rage at the Thinbloods to essentially purge them from the city. The prince nods, and he says, well, do you have a name? Yes. I think I it would be best to hear from his mouth before us. What was that? I feel like it would be best to hear it from his mouth first, so that it's not... Yes. Oh, no, 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 says the prince. We will not be unstaking him here. I shall be having... I shall be leaving that to our expert. He looks over at the Malkavian primogen. The son just smiles and says, ah, ah, it'll be my pleasure. Mm. Well, in that case, I will keep it simple, so that way anything we say can be backed up by him, although there's no doubt that his mind has definitely been altered. But I dare say he... Well... You all have your ways of uncovering the truth, regardless of what people are trying to hide, naturally. Do you produce... Yep, oh, I, was, I was just going to ask, do you produce the file? Um, I will have it in my hand and go, the one in question is someone I actually know rather well, after all. So yeah, the one, yep. He is, in fact, the one that sired me to begin with. One, well... Goes by today's standards, goes by the name of Nathan Bordreth, but you would all know him as Mickey McGee. Interesting, says the prince. He has not been to Elysium in quite some time. He uh, offended Annabelle. Annabelle looks over and says, Darling, darling, the man said that the Mona Lisa was 
but a, just a painting. Ah, a true crime. He says... But it seems, oh, is his rage at uh, a previous meal, from what I've, uh, my short times I've uh, been in his company, he is naturally seemed to... Uh, constantly have a deep hatred for the uh, Thin Bloods to begin with, but it seems that uh, more recent events have pushed him to these limits. Prince Jackson nods. He reaches out his hand and says, I believe you have some paperwork to show me. Ah, yes. As you may or may not know, depending on how closely you've been watching us, I... Alongside being one of his kindred, also Firefam, also work his uh, more legal cases along the side and keep things quiet and hush. But I always keep a record, and ever since I've noticed that his actions have been less than helpful to our kind, more recently of which, uh, well, I'll simply just hand the file over. Prince Jackson takes it, wordlessly opens it, starts to flip through it, and then he smiles, and he just says, I knew he was the one whose gang was encroaching on River West. I knew it, and he lied to my face. He turns a page and says, And here he is selling drugs on the south side. If Marcel, the Ministry, finds out about that, the entire Camarilla will be in Marcel's bad books. He slams, yeah. slams the book shut. And he says, sadly, there's nothing here that allows me to call a blood hunt on him, on him right away. And, adding to that, I don't even know where to find the man. But... This is enough for now. We will be keeping an eye on him. His time is numbered, let me tell you that. He claps his hands together. He says, Very well, consider the matter of the blood plague solved, your innocence proved. Now, before I dismiss you, is there anything else you would like to tell me? Ah, uh, yes, there was... One other matter. I'll, well, I'll look to Alexander to see if he has anything he wishes to add. Yes, you have I, anything you wish to add, Alexander? No, I just shrug my shoulders, looking at the corpse of the Tremere, and I go, no, I believe my job here is done. <laughs> you hear... Very you, well you hear Annabelle just gasp and say, oh, Don't say that, darling! <sighs> Roger, do you have anything to add? Naturally. Uh, there was one other matter. When we approached the... Well, when we were after attempting to apprehend the, uh... Well, the Abbas will be here. It turns out his claims about his, uh, Lord Tongues were not nearly as falsified as we originally thought. Do go on, says the Prince. The bizarre emaciated corpse of his departed friend actually came to life and attacked us, and upon its destruction released a small, um, well, worm-like creature that disappeared into ash mere seconds after its demise. 
something that, and unfortunately it seems that people here missed, but occurred just moments ago with our dearly departed friend here, who I'm sure if anyone wishes to... You, write, mm. you see the prince raise his eyebrows. He exchanges furtive glances with Critias and also with Sun. And then he simply says, similar events have been reported by other kindred. Uh, have, they see, have they seen shadow birds? Yes, I was going to get to that. Yeah. As, as Barry says this, you see the prince's eyebrows raise and his eyes widen and he says, have you seen them, Thin Blood? Uh, where was it that I saw it? It was, it was uh, uh, on the lower lower west side you saw it. Uh, lower west side, lower west. Oh, that's right, it was next to the Velvet. Uh, it was uh, on the corner of South Damon and West Kermac, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yes, I was riding in a taxi to the point where, incidentally, I, uh, we first, uh, basically stopped the blood plague. Yes. Yeah, we, when we were first trying to stop the blood plague, I was taking a taxi to where, uh, I had heard the Second Inquisition say that it had originated, or a place of interest. Um, in the taxi, the driver gave me great, bad, uh, what, I don't Dis want to say bad vibes, because that's dis not what you want to say. Discomfort. Uh, discomfort. Yes. yes, discomfort, and when I saw his eyes in the mirror, they flashed yellow, and as I looked out the window, there was a, uh, was it giant or was it normal sized? Normal sized, just made of a smoke. Yeah, a normal-sized owl made of smoke sitting on a building nearby, which promptly vanished. Critias nods. Yep. Critias nods and says, it matches the description, does it not? Prince Jackson nods in response and says, indeed, go on. We then saw a similar creature not too long afterward, Dol after we finished dealing with this Lord Tongue and Bartleby here. And through my own... Well, I have tried investigating on the matter. Unfortunately, I was unable to get much. Only a name, a deeply concerning one. Does the term... The Birds of Dis mean anything to you? I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. In fact, you may all make one. Oh, good. I may have potentially gotten us all killed. Uh, wits awareness. That's yes. Uh, six to roll. Six to roll. Six to three. browse on this one because I really want to acknowledge the reaction in the room here. Crap, that's a hunger. Uh, two. I'm going to use another willpower. Uh. Uh, that is five. Five. That is uh, three. That's five as well. Yep. How did Alexander go? Uh, five. Five. Very five, well. Five you notice that most of the primogen, Anita, Annabelle, Sun, have no reaction whatsoever. 
but the prince's eyes momentarily flicker. Disconcertingly, it is Critias whose mouth drops open for a split second. He then exchanges furtive glances with the prince. The prince sighs, and he says, The birds of Dis, yes, an old superstition. My sire used to talk about them all the time. Insisted that the birds of Dis were conspiring to end his praxis upon the city. Critias just nods silently, but he says nothing. Do you wish to press him on this? My prince, if I may be so bold, I understand that we're not what you would call close, but I am curious, what would these birds have did? What, what, um, threat would they present to us if they are in fact real? I'd like you to make a, min a charisma etiquette check, please. Oh boy, here we go. Critias smiles and he says, I don't know what they are. In fact, I don't think any canite knows what they are. All we know is that there are whisperings throughout history, times when sightings of these birds of dis have been reported. And usually they are a bad omen. They signal times of great upheaval for the kindred. Sometimes it means nothing more than a paradigm shift in kindred society. Other times it means total death and destruction, the purging of an entire city. He frowns, bows his head and says, it is said that they were seen in the last nights of Carthage. Mm. Prince Jackson just nods and says, My sire said pretty much the same. Although, up until most recent nights, I believe... I believed they were nothing more than a superstition. When my sire would talk about them, there were no reports of them. No one would even... No one would even uh, provide pay any heed to those words as nothing more than superstition and yet it appears now these modern knights here in Chicago they are being seen they are doing something it seems oddly time considering we have obviously the usual arguments between Camarilla and Anarchs, and now the Second Inquisition preparing whatever they are. If they can, with help, of course, work around a, a biological weapon against us, where does it stop from here? Indeed, says the Prince. Abraham, disabled, he gestures towards the pile of ash, believed that the birds of Dis were connected with a great magical anomaly that the Tremere detected within Lake Michigan. However, research was slow. 
And I'm afraid the Tremere did not find anything else, not without descending into the depths of the lake themselves, and that I did not wish to order them to do. The prince simply says, very well, I and the other Primogen will think on this. You are dismissed. Stay out of trouble. We will try, my dear prince. He ushers for you to leave with his right hand. Yep, time to go. You all begin to climb down the stairs. You pass the speechless kindred waiting on the other side and make your way out of the succubus club. And then when you step out onto the windy street outside, as you approach the, sh as you approach the brown Cadillac still waiting for you to return you to your haven. Oh. Yep. Yes, Alexander. While I'm covered head to toe in Tremere blood, I smile at the, uh, the bouncer on the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You pass the bouncer, you smile at him covered in blood, and he's, his eyebrows raise, and he just says, Once again, once again, Zemisi enters, the whole place is a mess. As you step towards the car, Darius smiles and he says, Well, I saw some of your kind leaving. Quite the looks they had on their faces. I'm sure you've got a lot to talk about. Hop in. Engine's already running. Excellent. Get the hell out of here, please. You climb into the back of the car. Darius turns the key and tires squeal as the car begins to turn down North State Avenue once again, driving you through the brightly lit, glittering downtown Chicago. But now, now after the events of that Elysium, after you've seen what you've seen and heard what you've heard, the light provides no comfort. This part of Chicago you've learned is just as dark and dangerous as the rest. As he drives, he says nothing. You jostle to find your spots on the seat, but you can't shake the feeling as Darius drives, as he turns onto the overpass that will lead back to the west side. You are being watched. Do you do anything? Light a cigarette and I wind down the window. <laughs> Roger's like visually. I, I wait. A vampire is capable of sweating, as Roger would be visual Well, visibly. you can't. You can't sweat. You could choose to sweat, but you don't sweat vol involuntarily. But yeah, if you were living, you'd be sweating barrels right now. And Barry. Well, either, either way, Roger looks like he's just like walked off of death row. And Barry probably is. Oh yeah, considering I'm lifelike. Yeah. yeah. I probably am swing. Um, I'm just going to activate rapid reflexes and just... Yep. Just... Just in um, case. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna 
do anything to advertise that. It's just in case I need to. Yeah, I might just hide in my senses. Just in case. Close my eyes. Just just close my eyes and make it look like I'm just you know zoning out for a bit. I really need to start specking into Ospex. Ah, uh, so <laughs> so I would like you, Roger, to please make a wits awareness check. You may add two dice, one for your Ospex and one because of the resonance. Wait, wouldn't it be two? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just saying two. Yeah. Uh, so two. Six. Uh, uh, four. Four. Roger, you notice as you go to close your eyes, you look up at the car roof and you see the fabric that uh, lines the roof is being pressed against the underside of the roof as if something heavy is pressing against it, but you can't see anything. And then as you go to close your eyes, you hear a very quiet, very subtle shuffling coming from above as Alexander lights his cigarette and winds down the window. A guttural voice begins to speak. Ah, come on! Don't fill the fucking car with cigarette smoke. Put it out! Wait, is that the driver or is that someone else? Nope, it's not the driver. Big guttural voice. That's not the driver's voice. No, no, um, yeah, I, I, I immediately open sitting up going... Damn cigarette ass. <laughs> I... Wind down the window and fill the car with cigarettes. Oh, can I look for a void? <laughs> you filled it. You fill the car with cigarettes. Oh, you exhale. You ex. I go just inhale a bunch of cigarettes. smoke. Oh, blush of life, actually. So I can. Yeah. Um. Okay. So rouse the blood for your blush of life. Uh, sorry. Give me half a second. Keep on typing this wrong. One. Ah, uh, fail. On two. Two. I said, put it out, says the voice. And then, Roger, you see the air, you see a rush of air as something invisible detaches from the roof and barrels towards Alexander. And unfortunately, Barry sitting right next to him. I would like Alexander and Barry to please make either a dex athletics or strength roll check. What's working? Ah, uh, Death Dex Athletics, that definitely is. Six. Uh, I'm rolling six, sorry. I've really got to stop saying how many things. Uh, three successes. Three successes? And how did you go, Alexander? Uh, yeah. One second. No, that didn't work. Slash VR. <laughs> <laughs> It takes a bit of getting used to. When it does, but this is why this is uh, why I stick to my advice. One success. Suddenly, you see a gnarled, bony claw manifest out of thin air. It slashes towards Alexander, catching Barry along the side. Rolls four successes, dealing four points of aggravated damage to Alexander yes. and. Dealing four points of aggravated damage to Alexander and two points of aggravated damage to Barry. 
Um, All right, now I'm aware. Yeah. It, um, yeah, aware's a fucking word. The claw snatches the cigarette out of out of Alexander's mouth and crushes it before you. Anything, any other stupid things you want to try, says the voice. I look down and examine my voice. Now I think Good, says the voice. And then the being reveals itself. And there, clinging with his claws to the bottom of the car's roof, like some sort of deformed spider, is the most monstrous kindred you have ever seen. His skin is gnarled and leathery, stretched over thin bones, fleshy growth sticking out of it at various points, his arms and hands and fingers disjointed, dislocated, pointing in directions they shouldn't, and his face, his fangs look like tusks, his ears, if they are his ears, nothing more than large points jutting out of the sides of his head looking like horns. He looks at you with bloodshot eyes and he says I'm Khalid, primogen of the Nosferatu. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Don't fuck with me again. Okay. Um, really sorry. Uh, what happened to me? Sorry. Uh, you got um, slashed for two points of aggravated damage. Uh, that's including my armor? Uh, actually, with your armor, just one. Yeah. Just one? Okay, aggravated, yep, yeah. cool. No problem. Sorry, continue. He says, I was there in Elysium. You didn't see me. The prince didn't see me. He smiles, revealing a row of jagged, sharp teeth that look more like rocks jutting out of the ocean than actual teeth. He says, I decided to come to you with a proposal. Are you listening? I was going to say, looking at the other two who look like your one's been mildly slashed, the other one looks like he says, friggin' chest ripped open, just like you have our undivided attention. Good, says Khalid. Here's what I propose. You're working for me now. Well, how are you working for me, you ask? The crawling tongue, the birds of dis. I want to know what they are. I've got my own people on it, but you've had first-hand experience. Us Nosferatu, we tend to be paranoid, he says, smiling. We don't like things running around the city where we, when we don't know what they are, you understand? He says, I yep. I, I swan and I go, well, you'll have more business with these two than me. I merely lied about staking the uh, unfortunate. The primogen just need that little extra push over the edge. He says, I was well aware of that, but you are still useful to me. You have seen one of these birds of dis. Uh, yes, yes, I have. Yeah. Hopefully you've seen two. Well, so has Alexander. He's uh, seen one as well. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I was talking in regards to yeah, yeah. very, very similar. Yeah. Actually, I've seen three now. Yeah. What the hell did you see the third one? one? Well, I saw the first one by myself. The second yeah. one was Tongue. And the third one just now. Oh, 
And then oh, yeah, the third one, okay, yeah, like, no, I'm up, I'm up to two, sorry, I literally did yeah. the one that we just saw. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long night, give me a minute. <laughs> he says... Uh, definitely interested. Yeah. He says, my people have learned... The birds of Dis are connected to something that is, or at least was, asleep in Lake Michigan. Ah, I fucking knew there was something down there. He says, I... Yeah, he just muttered onto your breath. He says, where I come in is I want to ensure that whatever this thing is, it's not a Niktuku. He smiles. He says, so, any information you uncover about the birds of Dis... Anything at all, before you even go to the prince, before you go to anyone else, you come to me. You will be rewarded, he says. Wait, remind me, the Nosferatu are the info brokers, aren't they? They are. Excellent. I, yeah, Barry has no problem. He will accept her wholeheartedly because he isn't working for the Anax or the Amarilla, no matter what either one of them think. Yeah, so when, same, when, same. Look, again, I'm, I'm still very much on the... He turns and looks at Alexander and he says, Do you understand? Me first, not Annabelle. I'll do my best. <laughs> he says, and that goes for your contact in the Banu Hakim as well. We Wait, have some contact? He says, I don't know why you didn't mention the bird of Dis that you saw in Elysium, but your contact within the Banu Hakim does not know how to keep her mouth shut. And so it is known to my clan that Alexander Borgra, upon leaving the estate that night, saw a bird of Dis perched upon the stone wall. Uh, again, Roger's just looking at over at um, Alexander going, we very much need to talk. He says, so, you agree that you're working with me? As long as that's with and not directly for, then yes, I can work with that. Excellent, says Khalid. When, when you have information, you may find me at the Nosferatu Warrens and the south side. Coincidentally, the entrance to our Warrens is right on the shore of Lake Michigan. Oh, You'll have to pass through the Banu Hakim's influence to find us. Do not be tempted to sell the information to them. Now, he says, I have other things to attend to. In one, in one motion... He retracts his claws, drops off the roof of the, drops off the roof of the car, and as he drops down, you see his body rapidly shrink until he is until he has transformed into a rat, a rat with glowing red eyes. This rat crawls up the half-closed car window. When it reaches the top. Amusingly, it takes a flying leap off the top of the window out onto the overpass. You try to see where it is, but you don't see it land on the asphalt, nor do you see it scurry away. Darius looks over his shoulder. Sweat runs down his face. He says, Whew, 
Well, uh, I'll be uh, open with you. I thought we were all fucked. Yes. I, I turned to the others and go, who was that Banu Hakim contact? Alexander, do you say anything? No, I just light up another cigarette and <sighs> wind down the window. It seems that we all have kept some form of secrets from each other. You return so coming together. You return to your haven. The car, the Cadillac parks on the very edge of your domain. And you thank Darius for his time. And he says, remember, lots of enemies out there. Don't trust anyone. He winks, tips his yeehaw hat. And then as you step out onto the cracked asphalt that uh, makes up the row, makes up the street he pulls the door shut behind him the great engine roars to life and the car disappears into the darkness as it drives away by this time it is just after 2am Alexander and Alexander and Roger, you may decide to return to the Haven to get ready for the day sleep, but I think perhaps Barry might like to feed. Yeah, Barry will go hunting. Yep. Uh, Alexander, Roger, is there anything you would like to do at this time? Yes, actually, on the subject of uh, contacts that others don't know about, I'm going to try and see if I can get in contact with... Uh, the other business partner that I have and try and see if I can update him on the current situation. Yes, okay. And Alexander, is there anything you would like to do or do you want to just retire for the night? I... No, I don't have really any other business this evening, so yep. I'll just retire. And yep. Are you heading to, your, heading to your own haven or are you going to bunk down in the Coterie's haven tonight? I'll bunk down with the Coterie. Coterie. Yep. So you enter the haven as Barry heads off hunting, and straight away Roger reaches into his pocket, pulls out his phone, bids you good night, and then heads up to his study, leaving you downstairs. The kitchen is your domain. Here is where you keep the small folding cot that you sleep on, and the three attack dogs that are chained that are currently chained up in a large wrought iron cage that takes up the majority of the room. Seeing as how it's been a mystery this whole time, what you actually do in here, would you like to explain uh, what you do in your kitchen and exactly what these attack dogs are? Hmm... Definitely, you'd be explaining uh, to an out of game because yeah, characters actually know. Yeah, no one knows, <laughs> but uh, I take the dogs by the chains and take them into the kitchen. I open a case. Inside sits a pomegranate 
though it doesn't look precisely like a normal pomegranate. It's sort of larger, bulges, larger bulges in weird places. You could almost, almost, if you close your eyes and felt it, feel. Swear you could feel a strange beat of some description in a pomegranate. And I take it out and slice it with a knife. You slice it with a knife and the pomegranate begins to bleed. I cut it up and hand each dog a piece and sit back, pull a notepad out of my pocket and begin to jot down what I see. The dogs growl. As you hand them each a piece of pomegranate, they grab it from your hands as if it was raw meat, tear it apart, and soon blood is running down their teeth. Yes. Do the dogs change in any way? They look at you, their eyes bright, burning, and you can see the hunger within them, the hunger for more. Well, this is disappointing. I cut my wrist and allow each dog to slake its thirst on it. The dogs begin half purring, half growling as they come forward one by one. Lick some blood from your wrist. Please rouse the blood. Ah, success. Success. Your hunger does not go up, but the dogs seem to be satisfied. They stop growling. Each of them goes back into the cage, and then they curl up and go to sleep. Seems more work needs to be done. You write this observation in your notepad, and then you crawl onto the folding cot and let the day sleep take you. Barry, you are going to go hunting. Are you going to just try and find a criminal like you usually do? Yeah, I'm going to find a criminal tonight. All right, I'd like you to make a wit streetwise check, please. It's streetwise. Oh, okay, that's only going to be two dice to roll. Okay, so we are two, two. Uh, one success. You know that it will be daytime within only a few hours, and although you do not fear the sun being a day drinker, you'd rather have the assistance of your disciplines for this task. And so you do not venture far afield from the haven. And so this night, where you were hoping to find a mugger or some criminal offloading their goods, instead... As you enter an alleyway between two run-down, boarded-up townhouses, you see a man wearing a backwards blue baseball cap, low-hanging jeans and a white tank top. And as you approach him, you notice that in his belt, a handgun is in plain view, wedged into his, wedged into the strap of his jeans. It's bar- its handle in plain view. In his 
in his left hand, he holds a switchblade, the blade glimmering in the street lights. And in his right hand, he holds a cigarette that he occasionally raises to his mouth and takes drags from. He looks at you as you approach and he says, I got something you might be interested in buying. Yeah, what's that? Takes a drag from his cigarette and then places, drops it on the floor, crushes it with his foot. With his free hand, he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a small baggie full of white powder. He says, it's the best in, best in Chicago, my friend. You know, that shit don't do nothing for me. And I'm going to... I can't activate Unseen Passage because he's looking directly at me. Yep, you can go I'm Rapid Reflexes, do, though. I'm going to do Rapid Reflexes. Yep. And... Pick something up off the ground and throw it to hit the bag with superhuman speed. Yep. All right, I'd like you to please make a Dex Athletics check, and he's going to make a Firearms check but with a dice of penalty as you're using rapid reflexes. Yeah, uh, so Dex Athletics, did you say? Yep. Oh, there's Athletics, yep. Okay. For some reason I couldn't find it. Uh, so that is six dice to roll. In uh, one, yep, go ahead. Three successes. Three successes. He oh, got. Hold on. I need to roll one more because I didn't. Do my dice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he got one. He got one success in one swift motion. You bend down, pick up a chunk of concrete off the ground, and hurl it at him, knocking the bag out of his hand. What the? He shouts. He reaches for the gun in his belt, raises it, and fires. But you're already running towards him in a blur. He fires. Bang! 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 Misses you each time. And then before he's able to do anything, you're up against him, pressing your weight into his body, your switchblade held to his neck. His mouth stammers. He says, uh, look, man, if you want the money, just take the money. I don't mean no harm, man. I'm just doing this, just doing this for my little bro. That's all, man. Fuck you, Dale. <laughs> I say messy gamingly. Yeah. Stop it. Stop making me like you. Um, the, uh, mechanics question because I cannot remember and I don't have my book. Yeah. Still, unfortunately, I can't heal wounds with my tongue, can I? Because I'm a half blood. No, no, you can't. Uh, well, you can if you didn't. If you had the teeth, you could. Otherwise, you can't. Yeah. Okay. Um. I'm... Can I attempt to knock him out? Yeah, you can. Make a strength brawl check. He's going to try to make one to break free from you. Is this a grapple, technically? Because this is, yeah, this is technically a grapple. Okay, cool. So that gives me four dice to roll. Two successes. Two successes. He got one success. He struggles trying to get away. 
knowing, seeming to think that he is fighting for his life. You bring your fist down with your rapid reflexes. Bang! Knock him on the head, dealing two points of superficial damage, and he falls unconscious, limp in your arms. Okay, then I am going to... Um, splice open a part of his arm that's not a major... Yep. Artery, and I am going to drink, but then leave him alive. Yep, so you reset your hunger to one, taking as much blood as you possibly can without killing him, and then you lower him to the ground, his skin now pale from blood loss. As you place him on the ground, his wallet rolls out of his jeans pocket and flips open, and right there in the front you see a photo of him kneeling down, his hand on the shoulder of a bright-faced young boy. Someone has written Lil Bro in the bottom right-hand corner of the picture. Um... Laugh, that's just mean. <laughs> okay, so he's still alive. He is still uh, alive. You can hear his breath. You can feel his heart beating, albeit faintly. Does, does he have a pen on him? You flip through his. Might be taking notes. You flip through his wallet, and sure enough, you find a small pocket notepad with a stub of pencil written all over it. Uh, records of his drug transactions and how much money he's owed by certain people. Um, first off, in that notebook, does he have anything that's labelled like supplier? Like his supplier. You flip through the notebook and on the last page there is simply a simply a note that reads Meet Johnny for more stuff Friday and then a street address. Okay, I'm gonna take note of the name, address and Friday. And I would write it down if yep. I apparently had both hands, but this is currently late on me. Um, and then I'm going to write on a blank page. Um, if I catch you doing drugs, uh, dealing drugs again, you won't walk away safe, no matter if you have a little brother or not. Yep. So you take note of the address he's written down. It's just outside your domain, but it's in a part of the west side that not a lot of kindred claim. And so next time you need to feed, perhaps you know where exactly you'll be going. Yes, I do need to do a little bit of research first because I do yeah. not want to take out one of Marcel's... Yeah, drug dealers. You insert the notepad back into his wallet, close his wallet, put it back in his pocket, and then walk away. You return to your haven just as the sun is about to rise. You head to your room... Quickly check your armory to make sure everything is in the right place. And then you retire for the night. I'd like everyone to rouse the blood, please, as you awaken the next night. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. Rouse to heal. Uh, ah, yes, you can rouse to heal the aggravated damage if you like. Uh, oh, yeah, I got, I got a once. One, yep. Well, actually, 
Sorry, I've got a, six, I've got yeah. a success, sorry. <laughs> well, actually, Tom, you can't actually rouse the blood to heal aggravated damage. Rather, what happens is when you go to sleep, you heal some. So I'd like you to make a stamina check, please. I need to make a stamina check, too. <laughs> Can only rouse the blood to heal superficial, so uh, two. two. Okay, uh, so so you heal two aggravated damage, Alexander. I heal I heal one. I'm just doomed to forever be one by one point, yeah. Um okay. Yep. Is anyone else's hunger increase? Uh no, because I succeeded in my rouse. Did I get that message off to my other business partner? Oh, yeah, we'll get to you first. Before you retire, you do you just do you actually call him or do you just send a text message? No, I, I feel this particular night uh, deserves a more personal touch. Before you retire for the night, you get out your phone and you dial King Olaf's number. It rings through a few times and then there's a click and then just silence. Do you give him a full detailed account of everything that happened? Yes, I believe he deserves more at least that much. You run through everything. Including, ev including yep. our newest relationship with the uh, Nosferatu. Well. He listens to you and then he says, Interesting. Most interesting indeed. Here are my orders. Any information? that you gain, that you would pass to Khalid, comes to me first. Naturally. He says, I have my own ways of ensuring Khalid will not find out. He says, furthermore, I find it quite amusing how Horatio was sidelined during the whole Elysium. Brings a smile to my face. <laughs> he says, let us yeah. not worry too much about the birds of Dis. They are a bad omen, but perhaps that bad omen is merely for Prince Jackson and his privilege. No, all the same, I will keep an eye on it just to ensure that this is not a more broad topic. More broad, uh, you get the impression uh, that he's smiling. You can almost hear the smugness. He says, good, good. You are well placed. Well placed to be the spark that changes the paradigm. And we shall be in touch. Keep me posted. There's a click and he goes silent. <sighs> you retire for the night. And how did you do on rousing your blood? Uh, yeah, I got an eight, so I'm fine. Yep. So the next night you all awaken after the hours of blackness that is the day sleep unpunctuated by dreams the clocks in your haven tick over 7:30 p.m the sun has just gone down your eyes flicker open you find yourselves lying in your haven the light dim dark the shadows just as long as they were the night before when you settled down Three things happen as you awaken. One to each of you. Who would like to go first? Uh, I'm happy to go first. All right. Speak up. All right. So, Barry, 
As you awaken from the day sleep, feeling refreshed, the first thing you hear is the sound of your phone vibrating on the wooden floor. It's apparently been vibrating while you... It's apparently been ringing before you woke up. Okay, I answer it. You pick it up, and before you answer it, you see that it is... Mercy, your touchstone, calling you. Her name lights up on the screen. Oh, fuck. Okay, well, she's calling before I wake up. That means something might be wrong. Yeah. You answer, you answer, and you hear silence on the other side. Silence save for a single sob. (gasps) Do you say anything? Where? She says, is that, is that really you, Barry? Yes. She says, come to my apartment. Come quickly. Someone knows. Um. You hang up the phone and what do you do? I immediately head to Roger's room. Yeah. I remember, I remember him saying something about my, needing my help in the future, so... You head upstairs... You head upstairs to Roger's room, and... You see Roger crawling out of his bed. His phone is lit up. He's just received a text message, but he hasn't yet had the time to answer it. Roger, you see Barry entering your room just as you shake the grogginess of the day sleep out of your head. There is a look of clear concern written on his face. What do you do? Now do I notice the phone's going off as well? You notice that your phone is lit up as if it's just received a message. I look at Barry and go, one second. And I will look over at the uh, phone just to make sure. You reach out for your phone, grab it, bring it up to your face. There's a message from Eleanor your touchstone. It simply says, something's wrong. Shit. Yeah, well, I'm awake now. (laughs) Meanwhile, yep, I go Barry. I was just going to say, I see the concern on his face light up. Yeah, you do. And what does it make you think? I go, shit, looks like Mickey's onto us. It doesn't even make any sense. He shouldn't even know about her. Yes, well, he, someone does, and they also know about Mercy. Meanwhile, downstairs, Alexander is slowly coming to a waking state as his three dogs growl. (laughs) Alexander, you sit up. Sitting in the folding cot, and you see your mobile phone on the floor, just beneath your head. You reach out and grab it. Alexander, I don't think we know who your touchstone is yet. I mean, aside from the one that you got during the sub-episode, would you like to explain, introduce your touchstone? So... My old biology professor. Makes sense. Mr. Hardwick. Sorry, not biology, botany. Botany, yes. 
That also uh, makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Richard uh, Hardwick. <laughs> he... I would describe him as the only human being I've ever gotten along with. And so, after you were embraced, after you got used to your new state of being, you tracked down your old professor, Richard Hardwick. You wasted no time revealing to him your true form and your new powers and how they allow you to grow things that he could never dream of. What was the first demonstration you gave to Professor Hardwick? I planted a seed and put a single drop of blood in the soil. Um, and then rousing my gift caused a twisted rose to grow. The flower was pink, almost like flesh. Hmm. And it grew, grew faster and higher than any rose your professor had ever seen. And then when I cut it, it bled. Oh, awesome. It took a while for your professor to get used to this aspect of your new expertise in gardening, but soon he was won over by the huge sizes and bizarre shapes that you could now create, the way that you could contort plants to take forms designed purely by your will. And so ever since then, for the last two years, Professor Hardwick has been your closest confidant. While you succumb to the day sleep, he tends to your garden at your personal haven. Having started renting an apartment a mere block away from where you rest so that he has easy access to you. When you wake up every night, you check your phone as he always leaves a text message to tell you that your garden is fine and to inform you of any imperfections he found during his work for the day that you should deal with later. Any, any thorns or branches or growths that need to be culled or otherwise bent to your will. And yet you are confused, for tonight you reach for your phone, turn it on, and there is no message from Professor Hardwick. Most unusual. I'll call... Annabelle. You place a call through to Annabelle. She answers. You hear her yawn. Ooh, oh, what is it, darling? The night's only just dawned. Hmm. Have there been any discrepancies? She says, in, yep, in... Sorry, uh, in and around my garden at the last evening. She says, well, no, I haven't heard anything. Your touchstone takes care of that, does he not? I haven't heard from him 
Can you send someone down to check? Indeed I will, darling. Don't worry, I will send a retainer there immediately, she says. Anything for my darling. And then she hangs up. You step out of the kitchen and see the other two members of your coterie assembled in the entrance hall, looks of concern painted on their faces. Mm. So, I'm, not even yep. I'm not even stopping in the kitchen. I will go straight to the armory and I activate both hidden armories. Yep. You slide open. Yep. You see, you see Barry uh, stepping into the hidden armory, pressing the button on the wall and then piece of uh, drywall sliding aside to reveal the three lockers. And as you see him uh, opening the lockers and start gathering gear, you say, out with it. Barry, do you say anything? Hidden armory. If you'd been around more, you'd know about it. And I start handing Roger a silence pistol, an AK, and armor. Well, yep. I well, I gathered about the armory. I'm more what motivates you to action. I know about our touchstones. Or oh, some of our touchstones, I suppose. I, I suspect. Interesting. Oh well. Do you reveal that your touchstone too appears to be missing? Yes. I'm seeing someone's got into mine as well. Perhaps oh. our performance last evening angered some. Well, I know you're more of a. Uh personalized weapons guy but there's a locker over there take what you need there's so basically in the armory uh so there's the hidden armories and then there's just the armory yeah one. yeah and in the two hidden armories there's ballistic cloth vests i'm taking one of those there's two ballistic cloth vests uh all together there are three ak-47s three silence nine millimeter pistols I'm taking my rifle, and there's two stake launchers that I have recently reloaded. I'll and take my personal Glock. Take your personal Glock, and what has Roger got? Um, well, guns aren't really my thing, per se, but in this particular case, I will take one of those armaments just for a laugh. I'm not sure if I'll need it as badly. Yep, <laughs> one point of armor. Uh, um, I always have the flashlight on me, just in yeah, case. Yeah, just in case. Especially in this particular motion. And, oh, what the hell, if I'm not good, I'm not good with them, but hey, an AK still sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. You slide Taking. the ballistic vest under your jacket pocket and then sling the AK over your shoulder. And then, I already have a silenced pistol on me, I believe, so it's not as big of a deal. And then, all geared up, you step out of the haven, pull the door shut behind you, and decide where you'd like to go. Will you be checking on your touchstone separately, or will you be sticking together? You know, that's a problem, <laughs> various points of the city. Well, I don't know what how Alexander found out, but I know that Roger's was a text. Mine was a call, so I'm more worried about mine. Yeah, first. I think um, Alexander's was the fact that he didn't... Yeah, that he hasn't heard from his... But, um, but Barry doesn't know that. 
Yeah, I was there when that. you received your text. I don't know how Alexander found out. So in my in Barry's internal ranking order, a phone outweighs a text. So Barry's just gonna go. I'm heading to Mercy's apartment. You can come with, and if you come with, I'll help you afterwards. But um, very well. Yeah, Rob, you're saying someone knows. Mine just said that something was wrong, so I'll message her back, going, you know, what's wrong? Can you get somewhere safe for the time being? Is there somewhere safe you can go? So, yep. Uh, so, Alexander, what about you? Um, have I got a reply from Annabelle yet? Not yet. Hmm. I'll take my own transport. I'm going to go check my garden. All right. So Alexander's heading off on his own. All right. Meanwhile, uh, Roger and Barry climb into Roger's car. Roger sits at the driver's seat and Barry tells Roger Mercy's address. Roger, you... Turn the key in the ignition, barrel out onto the streets, driving as fast as you can to Mercy's apartment. As you drive, your phone begins to vibrate. Barry reaches over, grabs Roger's phone. The name Eleanor is flashing on the screen. I just say Eleanor. Yes, what does it say? Uh, I'll answer and put it on speaker. You press the button, put it on speaker, and the first thing you hear is... <laughs> Roger? Roger, are you there? Yes, where are you? Oh, I... I just had the scariest thing happen to me in my entire life. I'm at my apartment. Come, relax for a moment. What happened? After work, I always take my bike to the basement, you know? But after I parked it, the light went out. I had to pick up some laundry from the basement, so I went to turn the light back on. When I reached for it, I swear to fucking God, someone's hand was already there. She goes quiet for a moment, as if mustering strength to proceed. There was this guy there. He was standing right at the entrance. He said he knew you, that... That he knew everything about what you do, and he would let the whole world know if I didn't do what he said. He he threatened me. I didn't do anything. I, I couldn't. I froze up. I didn't want you to get hurt. He said he would come back in a day and finish what he started, and as long as I didn't tell anyone, he wouldn't hurt you. He punched me in the face. Oh my god, it really hurts. But I grabbed out at him, and I, I think I yanked something off his clothes. I, I'm still reeling. God, I, I'm such a mess. But he... Okay, okay. He got away. He, he ran past me and out the door. Did you get a look at his face? What did you grab off his clothing? Make a charisma investigation check to see if you can try to calm her down. Uh, you have a charisma investigation. Yeah, I'm rising the blood for this, because I need to know this shit so I know who the hell I'm fucking murdering. <laughs> so it's a it's a six. That's a cost of a harm on the rousing check. How dare you make me feel for a fictional character? <laughs> yeah, it's not the first time he's done it. Because every I do this almost every week. <laughs> so how many successes is that? One, two, three, four, five. You hear Eleanor take a breath, and then she says. 
I, I didn't see him. It, it was dark. Uh, the top half of his face was covered by a, a black hoodie. I think he had black jeans. Uh, he was he was large, uh, built, muscles. I think he was white, maybe mid thirties. He had big, strong, rough hands. Felt like he'd been felt like he'd been doing manual labour. I think I could see some tattoos uh, through the sleeve of his hoodie, but I can't remember what they looked like. I, I, I don't quite remember what I tore off him. I know there was something on his clothing. Uh, when I reached out, I tore it off. It fell away, but I don't know what it was. Uh, once he ran off, I went back to the apartment. I, I don't even know if I should call the police. Okay, so I wouldn't have a way of being able to tell who this person is from a description, would I? No. It's a vague enough description. It could be anyone. Does that yeah. sound like, um, what's-his-face from the Anox? It does sound... Maybe. It could be Genghis. Uh, oh. Is Genghis... Did you say white? White, yeah. Genghis is white, yeah. But wearing a hoodie. Big guy, but you've never seen him wear a hoodie. No. That's true. He doesn't seem like the kind of person that would hide if he was doing No, I, yeah, if he wanted somebody fucking crushed, he wouldn't... He wouldn't go after it. Wouldn't go after a touchstone, you you think. He'd probably... Yeah, also, he wouldn't run. Yeah, after she fought back, yeah. yeah. So, meanwhile... Uh, what else do you say to her? Uh... Okay, do you have anywhere else you can go for safety? Somewhere that people will know less about? She says, uh, uh, the police station's not far from here. I, I can call a taxi. Um, I'm comfortable with the freaking police station, because... Where, where is her house in comparison to Nancy's? Uh, her... Uh, hers is on the edge of the down. Hers is on the edge of downtown. She says it's actually not too far from the University of Illinois. You could advise she go there. You know there'll be people there. It's right near Sears Tower. Is that a public place? That's the prince's personal haven. But Sears Tower is a public place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what? But, uh, do we know what kind of public place it is like? It's a, it's, there's a number of businesses there, banks, stockbrokers. It's probably not open at this time of night, but, okay. yeah, but uh, the university is only a few blocks away from where she lives on the edge of the west side. So her university will probably be open at this time of night. In fact, Roger, you know it is because you've been to her university at this I time know, of night. But it's obviously, if, she know, if they know whoever this assailant is would go to her apartment, they're going to know where she yeah. goes as well. So what would you like to advise her? Uh, I'm trying to think of how to make this work, because... Uh, Right. You know what? I will advise her to go to Sears Tower. It's open late. There should be enough people there. Plus, whoever it is might be less inclined to try anything stupid if they know who's yeah, who's who's there. Is. She 
She says, okay, I'll call a taxi. I'll go there. Uh, please, uh, don't do anything stupid. They said they're going to be back a day from now, but maybe, maybe they won't come back, you know? Uh, we're not taking that chance, Eleanor. I think we both know what would happen if something were to happen to you. Okay, she well, says. For that. She says, well, uh, the apartment should be just as I left it. I'll, I'll leave a key for you so you can get in. Maybe, maybe if you check the scene, you might find something. Uh, I'm going to call the taxi now, okay? Good, good. Go there and make sure you're surrounded by as many people as you can find. I will be there as soon as I can once I've taken care of this errand I'm on. Okay, she says. And then she just goes silent. You hear a click. Meanwhile, we cross over to Alexander, who is making his way to his personal haven on the north part of Southside, a couple blocks from Russell Park. Alexander, what transportation do you take to get to your haven? Um, a simple black sedan, nothing to... Yeah, so you climb into your black sedan, make your way to your haven, and halfway there, your phone begins to vibrate. You reach over and press the hands free button. Darling? Yes? Darling? Uh, darling, I sent someone to your garden. It hasn't been tended, darling, but there's no sign of any struggle. Wonderful. She says, are you headed there now, darling? Yes, I am on my way. Ten minutes. She says, would you like my retainer to wait for you? Yes, please. She says, okay, darling. I'm going to hang up now. Please be careful. She hangs up and sure enough, about ten minutes later, you find yourself pulling up in front of the long driveway that wends past an abandoned factory into the conv into the lot of residential shack residential properties beyond nothing more than brick shacks that were once part of the factory that have now been converted into small flats you climb out of your car walk towards your shack and find Eleanor's ghoul, a red-haired, greatly muscled man with a tattoo of a rose on his right bicep, standing in front of it. He's examining the mass of tangled vines and roses that seem to have swallowed up almost the entire facade of your home. He sees you walking towards him, and he silently waves. What do you do? I step forward towards him and I go, so? He says, I've looked around, no sign of a struggle, but your plants haven't been tended. He gestures towards one of the roses, which is wilting. A thorn, a large thorn has grown out of the side of it. Now the length and shape of an elephant's tusk, and it's buried itself through a nearby vine. These are the sorts of things that your professor will do away with as he tends the garden. He would cut these sorts of out overgrowths away before, using the power of your blood, they grow to an unmanageable size and begin to, dis begin to damage the other plants. 
So is there been any sign of where he is now? He says no, but he thinks could be something in your shack. I noticed the door was unlocked, but Annabelle gave me strict orders to not enter your haven. Well, let's go have to look there. Do you do anything about the big thorn? I leave it for the moment. You leave it for the moment. Instead, you gesture for the ghoul to follow you. You push open the door to your house, and indeed it is unlocked. It's even slightly ajar by about a centimetre. Push through and enter, and at first, everything appears to be as you left it. While you're going about your day sleep, it's not uncommon that your professor will let himself into your haven to remove or replace gardening supplies. And indeed, it appears that's what he was in the process of doing. You see one of your cupboards, the one opposite your bed, wide open, several watering cans and bags of fertiliser still lying scattered on the floorboards in front. However, there's no sign of a struggle. There's no bloodstains, no scuff marks, or anything else that would suggest anything bad happens. Interesting. I call the professor. Get out your phone. You dial the professor's number. It rings. You let it ring for about 60 seconds, and then it cuts off, and his voicemail picks up. Asks you to leave a message after the beep. I call up Annabelle. She answers immediately. She says, did you find anything, darling? It seems... The bottomless has gone missing. She says, well, you'd better find him then. Best you, darling... I shudder to think if anyone gets him to talk about what you've been doing. Oh, it would be the gossip of the entire Camarilla. And oh, oh, I would just die if they knew what you've been doing for me. My oh dear. I turn the phone off and I call up my uh, coterie members. They answer. You hear... Uh, you hear them, you hear the engine of Roger's car. What would you like to say to them? How goes your hunt, friend? I've instructed my touchstone to go hide herself amongst the locals at Sears Tower. Hopefully a large area might dissuade others from doing anything. Have you got any evidence as to what has caused this? An assailant of some description that uh, seems to know a lot about us and hmm? Supernatural, natural, what we that. Unsure at this stage. Um, yeah. We're on our way to my touchstone. Uh, speaking of, how much does yours know, Roger? Enough to assist me with my work. Uh, no, I believe that's oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's asked yeah, both. It's both of you, really. Yeah. Oh, oh right. how much? Yeah, how much does yours know? Because 
Yeah, how much does yours know about Indrid and such? Well, if I have to be completely honest, she wasn't originally my touchstone. More of a mutual friend of a business partner of mine. I'm not sure how much she knows entirely. What I do know is if anything would happen to her, it could mean a lot of problems to a lot of people very quickly. So basically, she may not actually know about all supernatural threats. Yeah, well, Roger, she knows She knows that you and Olaf are vampires, but that's about the extent of her knowledge. Yes, but that doesn't mean I want anything to happen to her. Yeah. What I'm getting at is that maybe she doesn't know that her attacker may have been supernatural. Perhaps. She doesn't, whereas I've told Mercy nearly everything except about Mickey being yeah. a kid. So if we can talk to Mercy, she may know if she was yeah, she as well. To, yeah. She may need she may know whether it was supernatural or mundane. That is a good point. So yes, so she's a little lower, plus I've sent her somewhere safer for now, so yeah. So, the time being, yes, yours remains the higher priority. So, Alexander, would you like to continue searching for your touchstone, or knowing that the others are heading to see Barry's touchstone, would you like to meet them there? Oh. Very well. You, t- you hang up your phone, you turn to the ghoul. He's currently rifling through uh, a chest of drawers, trying to see if he could find any clues. He sees you walking towards the entrance of the shack. He says, he says, you're going somewhere? Yes, and if he comes back, call me. And then leave. You shut the door behind him, and he says, Okay, I- I- I'll try to find clues! You hop into your car and begin to make your way towards Mercy's apartment, which actually is not that far from where your haven is. A few minutes later, uh, Alexander, you find yourself arriving in front of uh, an apartment complex that, to your eyes, looks more like a Super 8 motel. It's a double-story U-shaped building, a central car park right in the middle. There are currently maybe between five to ten cars parked in the car park. You can't see them very well as the only only light that emanates in the area is the light bulbs above the doors to each of the apartments. Four on the bottom level and on the top level, each of them with a each of them with a balcony that runs out in front of them, four on the top level. At the very back of the car park, between the two halves of the building, there is a single concrete staircase that leads up to the second floor, allows pe- allows the residents to access the balcony that runs along the second floor apartments. Is there anything you'd like to do before the others arrive? Uh, me? Uh... Oh, no, Alexander. Because oh, he got there first, because his haven's oh, only a couple blocks away. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I'd like to do a quick perimeter. Just cruise around, see if I can... Yep. I... So you don't stop the engine. Rather, you do a quick drive around the block to see if you detect anything of note. I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. Let's see, wits awareness check. Ah, oh, that was one. Okay, you do a lap of the block, and there are a number of things that could mean danger. You see cars parked idly in places that could, could be suspicious. You see a black van in someone's driveway. But you don't see anyone up and about. You don't see anyone walking around. And furthermore, the apartment complex itself appears to be... appears to have quietened down for the night. As you arrive back at the front of the car park, you see Roger's Mercedes-Benz pulling up. Comes to a stop in front of the car park and Roger and Barry climb out, stepping out onto the asphalt. Alexander, you kill your engine, leaving your car on the curb, just in front of the access way into the car park, and join the rest of your coterie in front of the apartment tenement. What would you guys like to do? Go to Alexander and go, signs of anything? No signs of struggle. Tells you there are a number of cars parked around that could be suspicious, but he hasn't seen anyone moving. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about oh. my, um, my, what should we do, be? Um, stone. Oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, no, no, I, yeah. Talking about what you found as you did a lap of the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, Barry, with that in mind, what would you like to do? Uh, I I'm going to walk behind the car so that no one I know is seeing me and activate Silence of Death and Unseen Passage. Yep, please rouse the blood. Yeah. That's a failure. That's so a that's failure, that's a hunger. hunger. Yep. Very well. Then what do and you do? I'm going, to go, I'm going to unsling the assault rifle and walk up the stairs to the door of Mercy's apartment. Yep. So Alexander and Roger, um, you see that... Uh, right, yep, he'll be back in a sec. So Alexander and Roger, you both see that... Uh, that, that Barry has activated his obfuscate ability, though you could still see the dust kicking up from the asphalt with each step he takes. He appears to be heading towards the uh, stairway that leads up to the second floor of the apartment block. Presumably this is where his touchstone is. Would you like to follow him, or is there anything else you would like to do? I'll follow. You follow. Alexander follows along. And so does, so does Roger. 
I would like uh, all of you to please make stealth checks in that case. And Remy, you may add your dots of obfuscate. Uh, so is it just stealth? Or yeah, uh, dex, dex stealth plus obfuscate, sorry. Okay, so that is four, seven, eight, nine. Two, roll. Yeah, nine, two. Uh, oh, messy critical. Messy critical. And one success. All right, I'm going to roll for somebody else. So, you creep up the staircase. You, uh, Barry, being functionally invisible, you reach the landing of the staircase and turn right beginning to follow the balcony around the corner to wards where you know Mercy's apartment to be. And there you see them, standing, leaning against a closed apartment door. Three men, each of them wearing a mixture of jeans, each of them wearing a mixture of ratty jeans, t-shirts, track pants, and plainly visible wedged into the hems of their pants are their handguns. They're gathered in a circle. One of them leans against the shut door and they're loudly talking. You catch snippets of their conversation. She hadn't been out of there all day. I think, I think the boss put the frightener on her. Yeah, well, let's keep an eye on her just in case. If she goes out and tries to contact that friend of hers, we got to bring her in. Let's just walk back in on. Uh, I got a messy critical, and I'm waiting to see where it gets messy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, meanwhile, we're going to get to... ...in the corner and saw these three guys so, talking about how they're keeping an eye on Mercy. Yeah, so... Oh, so, Roger, basically, as soon as you arrived at the apartment complex, Barry activated his obfuscate and started heading straight for the staircase that leads up to the second floor, with Alexander following him. Did you want to follow him, or do you want to remain downstairs? Uh, well, I'm not particularly good at stealthing, so you... That said, you can dominate. True, true. Sadly, not in groups. Nice to do that, but not today. Um, I might, um, there's more than one way in the building, yeah? There is, there's a fire escape around the back. I might uh, quietly make my way around back if that's... Yep. So after the other two leave, you walk around the back of the apartment block trying to find a fire escape. And sure enough, you find one jutting out of the back of one of the apartments attached to a balcony that wraps around to the front. You'd be able to meet up with the rest of your coterie. However, it's currently folded up. You'll need to jump quite some distance to grab a hold of it. So I'd like you to please make a dex athletics check. Oh, goody. My favourite. You can rouse the blood if you like. Um, oh yeah, considering I originally only have two to work with in that. Uh, uh, there's a hunger mark. That's always a good time. Yep. So back up to... Uh, we're up to three now, so I haven't actually eaten anything. Yeah. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that. Yep. Let's go ahead and roll. 
That's two successes. So you summon the power of your vampiric blood. You feel it welling through your body. Then you bend your knees, outreach your hands, and leap. And you leap up into the air about two meters. Grab hold of the bottom of the ladder and pull yourself up onto it, scrambling over the fence of the balcony. And your feet touch down on the concrete. You creep towards the corner peer around the side and there you can see the mouth of the staircase you can see the top of alexander's head just now climbing up from beneath the concrete and there leaning against one of the apartments you see a group of three men clearly armed each of them wearing a mixture of ratty jeans t-shirts tracksuit pants so here's what happens on the other side. You got a messy critical. Uh, yep. You got a messy critical, Barry. So what happens is you're up first. You climb up onto the landing, turn the corner, see the men there, and begin to creep towards them. And then as soon as you reach, as soon as you reach them, you hold out your hands, grabbing one of them by the arm. He begins to scream. You turn towards him, snarling, but he does not see or hear this. And then you toss him over the side of the balcony. He screams. Aah! I'm going to roll the damage that he takes. Yeah. You hear a sickening splat as he lands on the concrete below. You have just enough time to see his body twitch his neck in an awkward position. He doesn't move. His two friends jump to attention. One of them shouts, what the fuck? Grabs his gun. His friend follows, and they're just in time to see Alexander Borger rounding the corner. Alexander, you only got one success. They have seen you. They point their guns in your direction. One of them, one of them tightens his finger on the trigger, the gun shaking, and he says, what? What the fuck's going on, man? What the fuck is this, man? Um, I'm going to activate Rouse Blood to activate his institute at this point. I will be uh, adding two points of armor and my uh, claws. Yep. Rouse the blood, please. Uh, success. Success? And then what are you going to do? Just run straight at them? Um, well, I'm going to try and intimidate them first as I stand. They see me grow taller, and they see my chest thicken, my muscles contract and thin out, my limbs grow long and my claws go... Bingo. You have a chance to run. I will take it if I were you. Go ahead, please. Make a manipulation intimidation check. But you no longer have those extra two points of manipulation. Yeah. 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 Uh, three successes. The two men look at you as your body changes shape, as you grow taller, as claws extend from your arms. Their eyes go wide. As this is happening, Barry, what are you doing? You just keep sneaking past, going towards Mercy's apartment. 
Well, when the guy goes, what the fuck's happening here? What, what did he say? What's the fuck happening here? Yeah, so he's, he's, like, he's like, what the fuck? What is this? Because as far as he's, as far as he knows, he just saw his friend get lifted by thin air and tossed over the side of the balcony. I drop Silence of Death and Unseen Passage while also activating Rapid Reflex, and I just go, you tell me. <laughs> so you're just going to run towards him? Yeah. And attack him with your knife? Okay. Well, I imagine, well, I imagine I'm close enough. Yeah, you are. So you get, you are. I'm just, I'm just literally dropping. Yep. And activating Rapid Reflexes in case he pulls the trigger on the gun at me instead yep. of and, Alexander. And because... And you tell me to yeah to answer his question what the fuck's and because you snuck because you snuck that close with your obfuscator and weren't detected he'll get a penalty die because he's surprised so go ahead please roll strength brawl well if he doesn't piss his pants i'll just casually wait to <laughs> some questions unless you guys are all for just murdering everyone we'll, we'll see <laughs> one alive because he was talking about his boss Exactly, and I'm glad we're on the same page with that one. So you guys capture him, and I'll just come in once all the busy uh, work's over. Oh, also, guys, I'm going to have to tap out fairly soon. All right, well, well, we're, we're literally going to finish within 10, 15 minutes, so... Uh, so that was a strength brawl, was it? Yep. Grapple? Yep. Can I grapple him instead of killing him? Yeah, if you want to grapple him, take him alive. That's four, two, four, two. Yeah, I want to take one alive. Uh, that's... Two successes. I am going to use one more of my willpower. Yep. Uh, to re-roll those two. Uh, two. Which was another two successes. That's four successes. Oh, I want this guy alive. You begin rushing towards him. His mouth opens. He raises his gun and fires. Bang, bang, bang. Zero successes. <laughs> With your rapid reflex, you rush towards him, grab him, wrap your arms around him, push him up against the shut apartment door and hold your switchblade to his throat. Meanwhile, his friend is being accosted by Alexander. Alexander, how did you do on your manipulate four? He looks, he hears the scuffle behind him, turns around, sees his friend pinned to the wall. He looks forward, sees Alexander in front of him. He says, holy shit, holy shit, the website was right. They're fucking vampires. <laughs> and he says, he raises his hands, he says, I ain't paid enough to be dealing with this. He says, you'll, he looks towards Alexander, he says, you'll let me go? He's all yours, boys. Oh. Uh, at this point, I was going to say, depending on all, I'll see what Alexander says, because I'm more than happy to start talking to this one if he's, uh, I'm hostile. Have a mm -hmm. conversation with him, but remember to uphold the masquerade. Uh, yes. Oh. Yes, yes, of course, of course. Roger, Roger steps out of the shadows, approaching the shivering man who, who, the manipulation, the intimidating threat from... Alexander appears to have rooted him to the spot. He sees Alexander coming, his eyes glowing in the light, but does not move. Meanwhile, the one that Barry has pinned to the wall vaguely, vainly struggles, then appears to give up, just breathes out and hangs limp in Barry's arms. 
I know for a fact that these are just random ass thugs, but the idea of these two accosting me just stepping out of the shed is just <laughs> it's such a fun moment. See, but it's no. fun when I go hunting by myself, but when the coterie hunts like this, yeah, yeah. that was cool. The way the picture was painted. Yeah. Real <laughs> friends scare the shit out of greasy thugs together. <laughs> but yeah, so I'll walk out and just go, well now, it seems at least one of you is smart enough to know the situation. As for letting you go, I suppose that depends on how useful your information is. And believe me, this had better be good. The man stammers and he says, You are vampires, right? I shrug my shoulders and go, You can call me whatever you want to call me. And at this point, it doesn't really matter what we are. If we call it really matters, you're going to answer our questions now, correct? He, he nods. He says, oh, well, whatever you say, whatever you say, I ain't getting paid enough for this. Wonderful. Like I said, it's always good to see some form of intelligence here. Now, why don't you start with explaining why you're here? And more importantly, at this point, is he just, he's standing up, right? He's not just like... Yeah, he's standing up, yep. Well, either way, I will get up like an like inch away from him and go, Why don't you tell me who you're working for? Because I am very curious to know. Is that a mesmerize? Okay. Um, you, you don't have to... You know yep. Yeah, no, 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 no. At this point, I feel like he's in a position yep. where he's going to talk. And if he doesn't, if he seems reluctant, then we'll get to that. He, 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 I would like you, in that case, to please make a manipulation persuasion check. Lovely. Persuade, I like those. That's better if I rolled a little better. That's three successes. Three successes. He shakes his head, shivers, and he says, Ugh. There was a job posting. It's a job posting. We we found, we answered it on a board. It took us to a website, uh, verumdetenebris.com, something like that. Who's this conspiracy crackpot? It was all full of posts about werewolves and vampires and shit like that. Anyway, the boss said that he was going to put the frightener on somebody. He gave us an address. It said all we had to do was keep an eye on this address. Let him know if anyone came out. Uh, it would be 300 bucks for each of us, and uh, all we had to do was stand here for the night, but that's all. What is the Frightener, and who put out the message? Uh, I d d don't know, he says, stammering. Uh, I really wish I had the specs to know this idiot was lying. Could just mesmerize him to tell the truth, regardless, if you yeah. want. Yeah, screw this noise and just go, Lose, consider my patience lost, and you are going to tell me everything, or I'm going to leave you to these two boys, and trust me, they are far less patient about this than I am. You lean into his eyes, you speak your command, he looks straight back at you, his lips stammers, and you can tell he's trying to fight the urge to reveal this information, but then he lets it out anyway. In a timid voice, he says, the the webmaster he goes by the handle Redwood. Said he's been investigating vampires 
for a long time had received some new information. All he needed us to do was keep an eye on the girl. What's this frightener that you spoke of? I don't know. I really don't, he says. Something he sent to the girl. That's all I can think. Ask him how he was supposed to contact him. Ah, excellent question. How were you supposed to get in touch? Redwood has, has my number. He was going to contact us tomorrow, he said. Said he was going to give the girl a day and then get back to her. Hmm. Phone, please. Just hold the hand out. Reaches into his pocket, hands you his phone, and then he shakes. He says, I've told you everything. I, I could go now, right? I'm going to look over to the uh, to Alexander and uh, Barry and go, well, what do you think? I look at the guy that I'm holding and go, is he telling the truth? He just nods and says, yes, yes. I slide the knife into his neck. He slide the knife into his neck. He gurgles. <laughs> and falls limp and pale in your hands. Please add a stain to your humanity track. Hey, there we go. I'm up to... Uh, I only have three human. Yeah, so you've only got... So when, when, the, in, when the, all of the blank spots are filled with stains, that means you need to roll a humanity check where you take all the parts that are filled in, roll them as dice... Yeah. And if there are... Yeah. Actually, no, sorry, sorry. The three that you have filled, you roll those as dice. Oh, so I rolled yeah. three stains. Yes, okay, roll the three stains. Yeah. Uh, while we're doing that, I will look over at... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Alexander. Alexander and, go, and just sort of shrug and go, Fuck. Well, let's keep things quiet after all. Hmm. I've got a total failure. Total failure. Oh, Please uh, remove all your stains and decrease your humanity by one. I'm down to two. Oh. Well, no, you're down to... So how many blank spots have you got? Oh, so I've got three blank spots. Yeah. Two, three, four, yeah. Six, so I'm down to six humanity then. Yeah, six humanity. So, okay. all right. Uh, Alexander, what would you like to do with your hostage? The interrogation is complete. Oh, by the way, I'm going to drink this guy. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yep, go ahead and reduce your hunger to zero as you drink him. I shrink my fangs and I hold his head into his eye. My eyes pry his eyelids open. And then I whisper into his ear, the cats. He looks back at you. He says, I've been in a, ter I've been in a terrible accident. He looks around, sees the corpses of his friends. He says, ah, I need to go to the hospital. Yes, you do. He stands up, takes a step backwards and nearly trips as he starts to scurry down the stairway and then run. You see him running across the car park below. Eventually, he reaches a cream-coloured sedan pulls the door open and the engine starts and then as the sedan reverses out of the car park it knocks over a sign giving the parking hours and then screams off down the street with that um also yep. if it wasn't 
if you weren't aware, I was using cloud memory there. Yeah, I know you were using cloud memory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just if, yeah. It, if it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of gathered that was the, yeah. that was the deal there. And so, the men take care of, you move down the balcony, walk towards apartment number four, Mercy's apartment. Barry leans forwards, pushes open the door. Barry. The door is locked, so you reach into your pocket, pull out the spare key that Mercy gave you, turn it, you hear the click, you push the door open and proceed into the apartment, your coterie creeping behind you quietly enough to not alert anyone who might be inside. By this time, it is 10.30am, but you know normally Mercy still be awake in the bedroom. She never was an early sleeper. But tonight, there's something wrong. You could feel it. You hurry to the bedroom where you find Mercy shaking, curled up into a fetal position on the bed. She's grasping her flip phone in one hand and a kitchen knife in the other. And as you enter, she whirls to her feet, raising her knife. Then she sees who you are. She appears to have no reaction to the other members of the Coterie at all. She passively recognises that they're there and then lowers the knife. You rush forwards and remove the weapon from her hands before pulling her close in a hug. I have to move, she says. I can't stay here anymore. They know what you are, Barry. They know everything. They left voicemails. They saw you drinking from someone the other day. The other day. They say they filmed you. We have to get away. She sobs. Well then. This is going to be a problem, but yes, I agree. We need to move you. Come, we'll get you somewhere safe. Calm you down. You can tell us what happened. In as much detail as you can. And then we will work about solving this problem and then moving you. Very well. Somewhere better than this, I think. Very well. Please make a charisma insight check to try to calm her and explain this to her. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm going to rouse the blood. Yep. That's a failure, so my hunger goes back up to one. One. Uh, VR two, one. Two successes. Mercy nods silently. She stands, climbs, she stands firm, separates herself from you, and silently begins to walk out of the bedroom. As she does, she places the flip phone on the bedside table. You watch as she silently makes her way through the apartment, steps outside and leans on the balcony fence. Would anyone like to examine the phone? Think, call it. Yep. Yeah, you can examine it. You know more about it than I do. And so, Alexander falls silent as Roger picks up the phone. There are three voicemails. You play them one by one. A mechanical voice begins to speak through the phone receiver, obviously using some sort of voice distorter. It says, Mercy. I know who Barry is. I know what Barry is. I have footage 
of him feeding. You must do as I say, or everyone will know. Do you understand? The second voicemail is the same. The third is slightly different. The same threat. Except with an addition. Call anybody. Let anyone know what is happening. And I will find you. And the footage of Barry, leak, of Barry feeding will leak all over the internet. Do as I say. Provide the information that I request, and neither you nor Barry will be harmed. I am watching. It appears the blackmailer has used a voice distorter in each of the messages. The messages are short and straight to the point. Mercy must do, as the blackmailer says, provide him with the information he requests at the given time. Or he will go public with everything he knows about Barry. Finally, there is a text message sent to her. It simply reads, you have a day to think about it. Is this... We could work this to our advantage if we can somehow explain how the watches were killed. Damn, no. This may not work out the way I wanted uh, would you like to, would, it, would someone like to do an intelligence investigation check as you play the messages again to see if you can try to catch any towels in the voice, even though it is distorted? Oh, might cool. as well give it a shot. We may as well both try. Yep, go oh, ahead. Intelligence. Investigation. Uh, where's my investigation? Oh, two successes. Two successes. I I, yep. Again, that's a nine, so it helps. Let's see. Um, I'll see you a two and raise you a four. That'll work. All right, so six altogether. That's enough. You needed five. So awesome. you play the messages over and over. The voice is distorted, but the more you listen, the more you pay attention. You could tell... You start to hear the person's true accent, their real voice under the distortion. And you determine, based on the way certain words are said, the way, the way the voice lilts on certain sounds and consonants, that the caller is most likely a woman. There's a female voice. Now, if only she'd given some information about where she saw me feed, because the only place that I can think of is when we first woke up. Yeah, and there's no evidence. And so, you press the button on the phone, it beeps. You turn it off, put it back into your pocket, and the three of you join Mercy outside as she silently sobs, hanging over the balcony. As you approach, she looks over sees your cars parked at the edge of the car park and then she climbs stands at the top of the balcony fence and takes a flying leap sailing through the air alexander and alexander and roger you feel your jaws drop gasping inside of yourself as you see 
Barry's touchstone take a flying leap off the balcony. But then she lands safely on her feet and begins calmly walking to your car. I forgot to mention, when I told her everything, I kind of made her safer as well. <laughs> as you just sitting there going, oh, this rage will lose now. Also, Roger, I probably, this will be my last secret. This is Mercy. Where did I put touchstone? Uh, this is Mercy Bodruff. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> and with oh, this is good. and as you as you burst into laughter, you hear your phone beep, Roger. Beep beep. Mm-hmm. You pick it up, and you're surprised. You see the word sire on the screen. A message has been left. You press the button. It reads, I hear someone's after your touchstones. I can help you with this. Oh, savage. And with that, we... He he, he can help us by stopping. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we end this episode. Oh my lord, that's awesome. Yeah, visit that. Just a fun coincidence. Wow, what are the odds that you just happened to find out this information that we only found out less than an hour ago? (laughs) You each receive five experience points. As for the Yes. As for the matter of your touchstones, we will deal with that next session, which will pick up directly after this one. Who is after your touchstones? And why? And what connection do they have to Mickey McGee? Is this because of your performance in Elysium? Or is something more sinister boiling under the surface? Thank you for joining us tonight. This concludes part one of the Power Prey Story arc, Dead Proof. Join us next time for part two. No uh, escape. I cannot wait.